Okay, welcome back, Lights Out Podcast fans, listeners, smart people. Uh, here with Mike Miguel, as usual, you can see a, uh, a third face, a fourth, I guess, including mine. But hey, this is our favorite thing to do. We've talked about it many times. You know what it is, deep dives. Yes, we have another 50 Fight Club member right here. Not only that, but a fellow Hoosier, so he's smart, handsome, rugged, uh, well, something like that. I don't know. Burly. Uh, Keith was oozy. Keith, what's happening, buddy? Uh, not much, brother. How are you? Quite the intro. <laughs> Doing great, man. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, like I said, I, it was a great time back in the day. Uh, olden times, we used to get to train together some. Uh, it was always a good experience. But you, like me, uh, I, you're a 50 Fight Club member. I don't know if that's even what it says on the internet, though, because the internet's going to be wrong. They don't have, like, about 15 of my fights. What, what about you, Mike? What do you got? Can you can you run us through his career a little bit? I can. I can tell you uh, Keith's first recorded fight was in 1998 against Joey Gilbert. Is that correct, Keith, or is that wrong? Uh, no, that's not actually my first fight. My first fight was against a gentleman named Jason Powers on uh, Extreme Challenge Trials 2. It was in 98, but I believe it was maybe maybe two months prior to the Gilbert fight. Okay, so how many fights do you have before the Gilbert fight then? Just one or is there more? Three. I fought a, uh, a four-man tournament uh, after the uh, Powers fight. I won the first, lost the second. So Gilbert was my fourth fight. Okay, so did you win Powers? I lost the split decision of Powers, and then I fought a, a local gentleman I actually ended up training with later named James O'Connor. And then I actually fought, and I'm sure Miguel will know this name, I fought uh, Wes Collins in my third fight. Okay, now, how old were you at the time there? 16. <laughs> so was this like a promoter not doing his due diligence? Did you come with like a fake ID from like the flea market? Um, use your brother's ID? Well, how, how does this happen? You know, I, it was definitely the Wild West of MMA there I, at that time. Um, Negligent I don't think promoter, I really Chris. Fight, I don't think I'm here. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only fighter that was fighting before he was 18. Um, but yeah, just parents signed a waiver and let me fight. It wasn't really, you know, to me, it was, I mean, people talk about it like it was some big thing, but in the moment, it didn't seem like a big deal. Okay. So your but parents. Wait, let me ask, a, yeah. How, how does that, how does that go down, Keith? Is there, you come home, like you, you got the printout ready, like and, and, and put it in front of dad and, you know, he had a good day at work, so he signed it? Or, or, or did you say, he's in the car. Let me go get it right now. And then you go and sign it and you bring it back. Which, yeah, which he said, okay. He, I'll, I'll take the, the last wild guess. Keith, Keith went to mom. I, I, I bet you he, he got a soft spot. Mom, mom signed it. Dad didn't know. Uh, that's that's not a guess. soft spot. That's <laughs> mama wants to get her kid hurt. Yeah. <laughs> You don't want to do her. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, take us through that first, that signing, that first signing, your dad's signature. So, so actually, the first time that uh, my brother and I are kind of self trained, so we go out in the front yard and practice, you know, and that's put boxing gloves on. And eventually, we decided we wanted to compete. So, the first time we fought was in 97. Justin fought in like a 16 man tournament. And they didn't let me fight because I was 15 at the time. So, but my dad went out there. My dad went out there to watch, and I went out to corner my brother. And then the second extreme challenge, Monty Cox's kind of amateur feeder show at the time, he let me compete. And uh, did you pay to compete? Fun. What's that? Did you pay to compete? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was twenty five dollar entry fee, and then I think it was like forty dollars 
to buy the VHS tape afterwards. So uh, it's, that's money. It's a money. Wow. Well, it's kind of like you know, you go to Disney, you spend like three hundred to get your fast pass and get into the park. And you know, if you want any pictures from the rides around it, you're not able to take pictures of yourself on you know an extra twenty bucks. So was there a lot of crowds at this point, or was it uh, mm-hmm. not that many people there? Yeah, that fight was at a, a sports bar in Davenport, kind of a, a big sports bar, and there probably were, I don't know, six, seven hundred people. I mean, it wasn't so. So in other words, the entire card was paid for, but the promoter needed your twenty five bucks. I, I suppose so. Yes, I think you made out all right. On <laughs> and the likelihood of insurance existing at that time, being that you're under eighteen and actually covering you probably pretty low am i correct you know i think you're probably mistaken on that although i fought in a ton of fights where it was just a waiver but in iowa i believe uh the athletic commission was already involved in the sport so i mean they were wow was it wasn't a real professional commission but i'm pretty sure iowa was one of the you know first event first states that ever started sanctioning fights Hmm. i have a question you you, why'd you go over to iowa for a fight instead i mean they were having a fight in indiana (laughs) Well, there weren't, I mean, you probably remember this. There weren't a ton of fights in Indiana, you know, so I. Okay, but there were Finkies. No, not at that time. I mean, Finkies was Damn. probably two, year, two years after that. Jesus. Two years after that. Well, Keith, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, the first time I heard of you was when you fought Wes, because Wes Collins was a hook-and-shoot guy from our organization. He was a pretty, you know, for the time, I'm pretty sure he was at least like a, a, you know, a blue belt, you know, with like the, like the official blue belt kind of thing. So he was a pretty good guy, you know, for the time. Um, and that kind of got you on the map, but then, you know, I did, I, I had the time where I was a tape collector kind of thing. And I remember getting a tape of you fighting and it's a weird white ring with like, you know, one camera shoot from above with like the, the ring announcer actually doing play by play live for the crowd. Like, what, what's this? <laughs> What the hell that Bob Shermer show? What was that? No, I'm, per- I'm pretty sure that's the fearless freestyle fighting championship. Sure, and I can't believe you got that tape. I mean, you F-F-F- must really, yeah, FFFC or whatever they call it. That, but- that, now that you say it, that is exactly what it was. Like, a, like three Fs or something like that. I remember. Where, where was it at? So it was in Fort Wayne. Um, I fought twice. There. I fought in FFFC or whatever it was. I fought there in their second show and their third show. I did a tournament. So, okay. So that's uh, wow. So Miguel, you actually that's that might be like a holy grail item. Like there's certain <laughs> items in MMA, like like the Yama pit fighting. Like if I ever see a Yama pit fighting shirt, dude, that bad boy's right. No, I don't even care if it's a small. That'd be a belly shirt. I'm wearing that bad boy. <laughs> you know. So who was the promoter of that? Ooh. I'm pretty sure Guy Hinton promoted that, if I remember correctly. Uh, that's a that's a name from the bla- you know blast from the past. But, yeah. But here's the here's the thing is is like you know you, Keith obviously is one of the standouts on the show. His brother, but there were good fighters on that show. You know, I, I, like like there were guys. Well, Indiana, that Northwest Indiana is kind of a hotbed. Like especially around that time, um, like if you look at the 135 pound weight class. In the top five, you had three people within driving distance of each other in the top five, literally in the world. In the world. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that's kind of the area. Like, there's there's some bad boys in northwest Indiana. And, you know, a lot of them have, have moved out. And we're going to get to it. Like, I've got those questions later on that, that we'll get to. So why don't I start? 
All right, so Keith, you and I know each other. Obviously, we've promoted shows together. I haven't talked to you in a long time, but at the end of the day, like we've got a relationship. You know, where I could call you, you definitely pick up. So it's kind of a different relationship than our other ones. Mm -hmm. But in essence, on this 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 podcast, usually Miguel and I use Chris Lytle's friendship in order to lure people over here to ask like really kind of like questions that really kind of dig into them. And like we had Brandon Lee Hinkle call up Wes Sims going, don't go on that show. They know everything. Don't do it, dude. It's not a normal show. And, you know, Keith, Keith we got Chris having the excuse of, oh, well, you know, they're just kind of like my friends and their fans. And they ask the questions. Meanwhile, we're fully prepared and we know where, you know, the uncomfortable questions are coming from. And it's usually stuff that, you know, happens backstage at an event or getting stiffed or, or, or something of that nature. With you, however, I'm just going to be up front. You know, we pretty much, <laughs> you're going to be getting hit with stuff that normal interviewers don't, don't get asked. And I don't think you're going to flinch at a single one. Mm -hmm. so, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> right, right, yeah, there's no cheating. There's no cheating in this. All right, so in 1998, your first recorded fight is a split decision loss against Joey Gilbert. At that time, how old were you and how did that fight come about? Uh, I was 16. Um, so I had been completely <laughs> self. There's a lot of fights at 16. You know, and, and, and wait, let me, like let me add this caveat. Joey Gilbert is the first wrestler from the state of Illinois to win four state titles. He also fought, uh, he went on to fight in the UFC. He fought uh, BJ Penn. He got stopped with like one second left in the first round. But at that point, no one had made it a minute with BJ Penn. Everyone that like lost to him in under a minute got a second shot at the UFC. They didn't allow Joey to have that opportunity. So your first fight's against an absolute stud. Were you aware of that walking into this? Not really. I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know the name. I, you know, I obviously I got a ton of respect for both the Gilbert brothers. Now we're pretty good friends, but. No, it's just back then you just kind of showed up and fought whoever they put across from you. It wasn't, wasn't nearly as organized. So, so how does that fight come about? So I had been self-trained for my first three fights, but I actually started training at a gym. Uh, a gentleman, he still has, I think, a gym here in the area. Pat Robinson kind of opened he, his own place. And then he, some of the guys. So he's so a black belt now. Is he? Yes. What was he then? I think he was a brown belt then. Don't quote okay. me on that. I, wow. Maybe I don't, okay. I don't, That's I don't know. I, I don't really know. Um, he also I, competed, though. He was like an active yeah. like, a competitor from back then. No, no, he's legit. He's legit. Patrick Robinson's legit. Yeah, no, I respect him. He's He's got a gym in Valparaiso now. Um, it's just strictly jujitsu, but he's he's legitimately a very good teacher. So go ahead. I apologize. We keep cutting you off. So, so I said, Justin and I were self-trained. Patrick was more formally trained. Uh, James O'Connor, O'Connor, who I actually fought, you know, we all started training together, Jeremy Morrison, and then kind of a group of guys started training together and Doolin eventually kind of split off from that. You know, we kind of wanted to train harder, I guess would be the best way to describe it than, than what, not that they didn't train hard, but it's, you know, competing at a high level in MMA isn't really martial arts. It's more of a sport. And that's kind of how we wanted to treat it. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, so they offer you Joey Gilbert. Was this like, something they made at the event because a lot of times these fight cards like now you have a full training camp you know who you're talking to do you just show up at this event and they offer you joy gilbert or, or how, how does that line up so I, 
I think I knew I was fighting him prior, but you know, back then, at least for me in my experience, I was fighting almost every month. So I fought in February in that tournament. Then in March, I fought the next tournament against O'Connor and uh, Collins. And then April I'm fighting Gilbert. And then May I'm fighting in a tournament against uh, Jeff Curran. It's just kind of one of those, you just show up and fight whoever's across from you type of deal. Okay, so you you walked like into this one and three then. What's that? You were one and three going into Joey Gilbert. One and two. One and two. Okay. Okay. Yeah, as you, right, 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 right. Okay. At, at any point, is any of your parents or somebody that cares about you trying to talk you out of this? Or is it just fueling the fire? <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't really get discouraged. I think to some degree... You know, at that age and competing against, I mean, especially in like Joey and Jeff Curran's case, they were pretty decorated already. I mean, I mean, Joey was a collegiate All-American. I'm a sophomore in high school. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a fight that I think most people expected me to lose. And I really, I mean, even though I lost a split decision, that fight could have went my way. I mean, I actually had him in a triangle where he literally like pulled himself out. We both fell out of the ring. That's back when everyone wow. fought ring for the cages. So it wasn't like. I got steamrolled. The Jeff Curran fight was a really, really close fight. It was a, I think it was unanimous, but it wasn't. It wasn't like a one-sided fight. It was where really, was the Jeff Curran fight at? Because that's obviously not in your record. No, that was uh, that was at a place called the Brat Stop uh, on the border of Illinois, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in these fights, are like, are, are you are you taking much damage? Are you coming out with cuts or not really? So it's like, is it, you know, what I mean? I've never like, seen a Keith Wisniewski fight without a cut. You know, that was I was a younger Keith with a uh, little thinner skin, I guess, or thicker skin. Thicker. Less scar tissue. Yeah. Let me definitely. ask you. Let me ask you here. Let's get to the nuts and bolts of this thing. Okay. Keith <laughs> Keith was newski versus Joe Gilbert's not a bad fight here. It sounds irresponsible, how, doesn't it? How much of that money do you still have left that you got paid for that? I mean, you had to have been paid a fortune. <laughs> how much were you paid, brother? So of the of the hundred dollars I received from compensation, you know, I, I spent ninety that day celebrating, and then ten I rolled over in an IRA, and I'm hoping to retire on that. There we go. Good plan. Uh, you know what you did was you probably bought the first Bitcoin. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're a billionaire. All right, that's good, Keith. That's good. That's good. Ahead of my time. All right, so um. At that event, you also had Matt Hughes I in that locker room. <laughs> Were you aware of like who Matt Hughes was at the time? Because he, he fought on that. He had a huge slam. I think he fought Eric Snyder, split him open. So, so that wasn't actually that night. Um, oh, okay. That was uh, the next show that day. So I fought on, I believe that was Goitia. The show I fought on was Goitia's first show ever. Okay. And then the second show he was going to promote he had Matt Hughes fight. And I actually, I tried to get that fight. I had no idea who Matt Hughes was. I mean, it, <laughs> all these names are not really names I know at that time. You know what I mean? It's the internet's not as easy to research. You know, it's, hey, he's, Chris. Just a guy, he's just another guy I'd be fighting. Um, yeah. But Goitia mercifully said, I probably wasn't experienced enough to fight this guy, which I took as kind of an insult. Cause I had like five fights and Hughes had, I think one. <laughs> I'm a veteran. <laughs> Anyhow, then he, he picked Snyder up, who had like 50 fights, carried him around the cage and slammed him and broke his ribs. So I was I was thanking Joe, kind of saving me on that one. <laughs> might, so, might have been the end of my career pretty young. So, so Miguel, imagine this. 
Yeah, I only had like five fights. Uh, you know, three, four, and five were Joey Gilbert, Jeff Coran, and Matt Hughes. Like, <laughs> you know? My, my, uh, the Mike, is, this guy you were talking about the other day had three fights. Tim Buchanan. Who were they against? So Tim Buchanan fought uh, Walt Big Ticket Harris, where he, and he, he made it to a decision with him. And, like, we talked to Walt Harris the other day, and he's just like, man, I can't believe the guy survived that. His next fight was Derek Lewis. And I, I can't remember the, the third guy, but it was somebody, somebody really good. It, to, it was somebody that made it to Bellator and was pretty like this guy, like oh and three is like made, sport sucks. No, there was karma coming into play, and like maybe the cars or trains kept missing him. So they sent like three behemoths to try to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Buchanan's Tim Buchanan is his name. All right. Yeah, so we, you know, the thing the thing about it too is if you look at the fights that are against from that era for Keith that are against guys that aren't famous. You, if you know the era, like Josh Kate was not a bad little fighter, you know, Brandon Bledsoe at the time, you know, was kind of, uh, you know, a, a real skinny little guy too, but, but he's still a martial artist train, you know, training students and, and he made a whole life and career out of it. Josh Kate as well. So those guys, you know, unsung guys that you were fighting, but they were all tough. Wes Collins, like I said, was a little bit more advanced than your average Joe uh, for the time. So talk talk a little bit about – you were looking for the Matt Hughes fight. It's like talk a little bit about that philosophy, where it comes from, because we'll talk about our, our exchange, and I got you a fight with Adrian Serrano, who's a guy who was well, – Well, that, we're jumping ahead there, Miguel. So go, let me go just ahead. kind of go in order. So right. you, you go, I, Mike, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> and, and no, no, and, and I get that. Like we're, we're all kind of in this together, but we got to tell the story. So in essence, we just talked about Josh Kate, Brandon Bloodsoe, which was the, the, the four man tournament that you were in um, for, on your fifth recorded fight online, obviously not matching up with your actual record was Jim Rhodes. And at this point, it's like, you've got three submission victories. What was allowing you to put it together at that point? Um, so you're talking that three in a row were Bledsoe and Kate and then the, uh, the Rhodes fight. And then you got Rhodes. Uh, so I mean, technically you're looking at on your online record, you're looking at fights three, four, and five. That's correct. So, and, and I don't mean to diminish those guys. Cause I actually am pretty good friends with, uh, I mean, we don't stay in touch, but for years I did see them around and I actually competed in a Abu Dhabi tournament against Kate's later, but I would say, uh, Kate's, Bledsoe, and Rhodes were probably pretty helpful, especially Rhodes. I mean, those were pretty healthy step downs from, you know, Corinne. Should uh, Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> especially at that time, you know, I mean, Bledsoe was a pretty good jiu-jitsu guy, but he had never fought prior to me. So I don't think he was used to getting hit in the face. And it just, I think. He's, he's not your weight class either, man. You know, I mean, that, that, that's, back, that's back in the lawless days. But, but he... You're you're a 170 pounder and he'd be a 145 pounder soaking wet. Well, remember, <laughs> I was 16 then. Yeah, that's so true. That's, I was probably about, I was probably true. about 155, you know, and not cutting to make that. That's just what I walked around. <laughs> all, right, all right, so so Keith, were you a big ticket seller at this point? Like, would all your buddies from high school come and watch a fight? You know, not really. I mean, I I became a pretty big ticket seller once I joined the union. Um, you know, my name carried more weight. You know, I got to the point where I would sell, you know, let a local show over a hundred tickets. But, uh, 
which is a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, that's pretty good for the yeah, promotion. But, but, but you would turn all your tickets in at Wayne's and you would cut your ticket sales off a few days before. And, you know, like a good third of your tickets are the day before, you know, and yeah. day of. Yeah, I wasn't a hustler for tickets, but I, I yeah. had a contingent of fans. You know, I mean, people came to watch me fight as I had success in the sport and, and I owned the gym. So then the people that I trained over the years and their family would come watch. But yeah, I was pretty quiet in high school. My family would come to the fights, a few friends. I tended to fight. There weren't really any fights in Northwest Indiana when I started in the sport. So like the closest fight, you're driving like an hour into the heart of the city through traffic. I mean, most of the guys didn't want to do that. And, you know, some of the fights were in Evansville, you know, Iowa, up in Wisconsin. I mean, guys, aren't you know, when you're 16, 17 year olds, most guys aren't going to be driving four or five hours to go watch a fight. Okay, so your sixth fight that's online is Shoney Carter. <laughs> Tough one. Yeah. He had a lot of experience at that point. Yes. So was was this a – at this point, did you ever scout him at the Tropicana? And for people that might not know, the Tropicana was a uh, like a bar downtown Chicago, and Shoney was the house fighter. And you won a thousand dollars if you beat them, or five hundred dollars if you beat them, and they would literally pull drunks out of the crowd. And Shoney would just put on highlight reel knockout after highlight reel knockout for the audience. My man, <laughs> you know, I don't like anything that endangers drunks. Shoney probably got free drinks. That was that was his payment. Like, you get free drinks. I'm like, all right. He, he probably had about 50, 60 fights just at the Tropicana. Yeah, you know, I was familiar with that. I knew that was a thing, but I. I think I was too young to go to the Tropicana, to tell you the truth, at that time. And uh, But I was pretty familiar with Shoney. Like, when I tell you I wasn't familiar with these other fighters, this was about a year after those fights. So now I'd been to a lot of events. I'd, you know, the internet, you know, the underground was more of a thing. So I was pretty familiar. Too. What's that? You were 17. <laughs> yeah, it's grown man practically then here oh, on my chair. Oh, Almost old enough to buy a pack of cigarettes. That's yeah. Good. Buy a lottery ticket, go to the military. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, that, that fight, did you request to fight Shoney Carter? So, you know, back then it was kind of weird. You kind of, the promoter would get a list of guys who wanted to fight and then just kind of match them up. So that was, uh, Pat Robinson actually promoted that. That was a show he called the Indiana Martial Arts Challenge. And I think he did three events total under that banner. And that was his third show. And Shoney was going to be the main event. And, I kind of like the idea of being a main event in my hometown. I've been on a winning streak. I, you know, I felt like I could beat anybody. I still feel like that, you know, but <laughs> didn't work out in this particular case. But yeah, I, I would say I asked for that fight. I, I was pretty comfortable taking the fight at the time. Okay. So for those that don't know, Keith, you lost by spinning back fist. And I think the opening exchange. Uh, it was about 40 seconds. Yeah, it was, okay. it was not, not ideal. Okay. So. You know, this is close to your house. This fight took place. Yeah. Now you win a thousand bucks for beating Shoney. What do you get for giving him, you know, forty seconds of hell? Well, I'm, eight I'm bucks. Pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have got a thousand for winning. I don't remember what the pay was, but I'm sure it was less than five hundred to win, and probably like, I don't know, maybe two, three hundred to lose. Um, okay, so. Yeah, 40, Bring bring us through like a, a, after something like that happens. Like it's your first knockout. Like you got you got completely knocked out. Am I correct for the first yeah, time in your hit, career? It, it, yeah, the only time in my career I've been knocked out. Um, okay, he, he actually hit me, and this is kind of strange to say, but he hit me in the neck. So I don't know. 
it was a strange place to get knocked out. But yeah, he hit me right in the side of the neck, and I felt like a sack of potatoes. Um, apparently, I uh, congratulated him like six or seven times because I was going to congratulate him, tell him good fight, you know, shake his hand. And my brother's like, "Hey, hey, we're good. We got to leave. You've you've already shaken his hand and said that like seven times." <laughs> Did he come in with all of his belts and stuff at this point? Leather get up? Did, did, was he was he doing a Shoney Carter gimmick at that point? Mr. International. I don't think yeah, that's he, a show. I think that's he, who he is. He, he was definitely a showman. You know, he does the backflip and he does like a weird side flip. And I I would say he was probably a better athlete then, you know, even then when he was in the oh, UFC. Yeah. I mean, he was, I would say that's his prime. I mean, Shoney's, I couldn't, I'm sure he's probably in his 50s. I mean, he's not a young yeah. man. He might um, be over 50. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and people don't give him a lot of credit for this, but Shoney's a pretty good wrestler, especially like upper body, like Greco. Very and good. I think he was a junior college All-American, if I don't. He, he's At a which, very good upper body Greco guy. Yeah. He can I mean, toss. I, he knows judo. I've rolled with him. He's, you know, and I'm solid upper body. He gives me all I want. Really? So you guys rolled afterward? Okay. Yeah, I mean, not years afterwards, but maybe like a year or two later. Bob Shermer used to do these. I don't, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but Pancration, remember, it was going to be an Olympic event? Yep, yep. So dude, Bob, Bob is still trying Bob's to Bob's got a lot of different – He's still trying to get Olympic stuff, dude. Thanks Team on. America. Yeah, Keith, you're representing Poland. He's just, you know, <laughs> we're red and white. So well, I, I, I got a question. You know, I was going to bring this up later, but maybe maybe you segued me. You know, Shoney is obviously Mr. International. He had the show, but Keith, you – you worked on your ring entrances and your ring walks and your ring music a little bit too. Why don't you share with some people some of your some of your choices for uh, for walkout music? Let's hear it. <laughs> you know, I I'm a fighter that came out to all different songs, so it's not like a Matt Hughes where it was the same song. But but I'm I do real- remember I do remember you and your brother like you know thinking about it, like putting thought into I, this time we're gonna come out to. Go ahead, you take it away, man. But yeah, it's pretty important to me. I came out came out to a lot of old country songs um like don williams good old boys like me i came out to merle haggard's um yeah, he come out to those old school country songs where everyone else has got death metal and yelling <laughs> and keith would have a guy like you know like a real slow folk type song that's very <laughs> meaningful that you would never be able to actually understand the words at you know maybe because people are you know going bonkers yes yes i, I- I fought Kyle Jensen up in Minnesota on one of Monty Cox's shows. And I came out to uh, Kenny Rogers uh Lucille. You guys familiar with that one? I'm not. No. no. I have to leave me, Lucille. Four hungry children. <laughs> no, you, I'm sure you'd I'm sure you'd recognize if Kenny sang it for you. But it takes like <laughs> Yeah, keep going, like, Keith. Give, give it us some like, more. <laughs> it takes like two minutes. Two minutes to get to the chorus, and the guy, that's, <laughs> the guy that's running the back room is like, "You got to walk now. You got to go now." And it's not yet. You know, it's a pretty small show, you know. And I'm I'm not getting paid a ton of money. It's just something I'm doing to stay busy. And I wasn't gonna get cowed into going out there early. So, no, <laughs> still getting my mind right. Thinking about <laughs> Lucille. After like two minutes, and threatened to withhold my purse and everything else, I walk out right to the chorus, and then I was not too worried about being shy. I sung at the top of my lungs on the way out. That's awesome. I think I, think I beat Kyle in like two minutes. I I credit the song. That that's good. Yeah, you know what, Keith? You freeze the kicker sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's what you gotta, exactly. That's yeah, what you gotta you got, do. 
know, he was a wily veteran and experienced guy. He's 18 years old at the time. You know, he'd probably been fighting for – he'd probably his 12th fight. It's crazy. I, All right, I might have so, seen. So, Go ahead. so your next fight is against Jason Glavis, who I remember locally as a tough guy. And what shocked me the most was that it's listed as a draw. I don't remember going to this fight or seeing the fight, but it's listed as a draw. So I fought Jason Glavis twice, um, Chicago Challenge 5 and Chicago Challenge 6. They were at a St. Andrews gym in Chicago. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a big show in Chicago, really. Uh, actually, Matt Hughes had a really good main event on, might have been Chicago Challenge 5, one of those. Um, but yeah, the first fight, it was pretty one-sided. I got the better of Glavis, but there were no judges. And that was pretty common back then. It was maybe Just like yeah, half the fights had judges, and half the fights, if you went the distance, it was a draw. Why? You know, I, you know, there was no well, athletic it, division. Yeah, there were no you can't scrape together three good judges now. Well, well here, Miguel, <laughs> Miguel this, you know, this was <laughs> like the most frustrating thing. So at that point, at the point in lo- regional mixed martial arts at the time, there was a couple shows that would – have a whole bunch of two rounders and then like one or two, three rounders, but everybody didn't want to draw. Like they wanted like a finish and they were willing to fight three rounds, but their promoter just wanted two rounds for, I, I don't know. I mean, I asked the guy 50 times and he would just go, no, no, two rounds is cool. It's like, easy. I, That's I easy. don't know. The bottom line is, is you save the, you save the win money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually am kind of was in favor of that. You know, Shudo did something like that too, to be honest. Shudo did the B class and the A class and the A class was three, B class was two. And it led to a lot of draws. But a lot of times what was the case is that those two round fights were almost the equivalent, like an amateur fight. And when you go three rounds for those guys, they just would take a beating. Guys would have their hands on their knees, be a lot more knockouts in the last <laughs> round. So I think in some ways, protecting the fighter let them get more experience before they do those long wars is maybe good for the fighters yeah but it was also one of the premier events for the area so that was kind of like where i'm like ah another two yeah, rounds. you had different you had the entry guys were always not as good yeah, the more yeah fair no, hey, keith, keith, i'm sure you're correct you know i keith, mean keith about this like he's gone over all your fights and everyone you know we're talking about Pretty tough guys. I mean, these aren't easy fights. It was just everybody you fought was up here. It seems like is that just how it was? I mean, I know how it was back then. But is that are you saying that's kind of how explain to people that's how it was back then, or was those just fights you chose to take the toughest ones? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, I mean, there were soft fights to be had, but I didn't do those. Like there were local like bar circuits where guys built up. I mean, I don't know guys that built up phenomenal records, but I mean, they were against really soft competition and I never really enjoyed the idea of just showing up and guys taking breathalyzers on their way to the ring and then fighting, you know, it's just, <laughs> I, I wasn't in the market for that. So yeah. early in my career, I fought relatively tough guys to where I was. And then when I really started breaking through and taking the sport more seriously, I kind of became a road warrior. So I would travel to other areas and fight, you know, maybe not the top, top guy from that area, although sometimes I did, but contenders from that area. Usually if someone's going to pay you to come in and travel, you're fighting a pretty tough local guy. (laughs) Exactly. That leads us to our next fight in regards to experience, travel. I don't know about local. And that is the eighth fight that you have online. And that's Miguel. 
you put him against Adrian Serrano, who probably had about 70 fights at that point, and I think I had already made a UFC debut. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let, let's talk about this here. So <laughs> let me justify this. Yeah, go ahead, Miguel. Keith, 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 Keith get your lawyer on the line. <laughs> I, I definitely had noticed Keith if he hadn't already fought for us in Evansville. I think there was definitely an Evansville fight before that, but I'm not looking at it right now. So, you know, you think travel, okay, you, you know, it doesn't start more exotic than this, I think, you know. Uh, it got better, right, Keith? Because this was travel, Wichita Falls, you know, so it's not exactly, you know, I saw camels on the drive there, you know what I mean? And <laughs> What he did is he had to go from Portage or, or wherever in northern Indiana to Evansville. And in Evansville, hook up with the production crew for Hook and Shoot, which was going to do the show in Wichita Falls, Texas. So him, his brother, the referee, Osborne, uh, Aaron, who fought on that show, Maras, who fought on that show, all those guys in a van. I don't know how many hours. <laughs> Let me ask you. Um, did things fall apart? I don't remember, but did things fall apart on opponents and stuff? Or did you drive down there thinking you were fighting Adrian? So I definitely didn't drive down there thinking I was fighting Adrian. Um, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I might have been fighting a guy from the Lions Den, like a relatively inexperienced, uh, you know, the I'm trying to think is it the Tulsa Lions Den. Okay. okay. Oh, you know, and, had, and you got Guy Mesber there too. Yep. So yeah, it could so, have been either one. But, but I think yeah. I was fighting a relative beginner from that gym, and that may have fell, fallen through. Or I may have just been going, Justin fought a tournament. supposed to be a four-man tournament. It ended up being a three-man tournament. He just fought one fresh guy and then another fresh guy. But I may <laughs> <laughs> so, so both of you guys got screwed. It just wasn't one with Snooski. Okay. The okay. other with Snooski is tougher. Justin's a little tougher. He beat both of his guys. But, uh, no, I, he you was, know, I think – I think Adrian's opponent fell through and I liked that matchup. I had seen Adrian fight. I was really familiar with him. Um, I felt, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Adrian, he's a pretty dominating top fighter and he's, he's got, got 150 fights. He's got impeccable conditioning. He just kind of wears people out, but I figured I'd be a hard takedown and I could probably outstrike him. He's pretty short. So, I mean, just like the Shoney fight, I talked myself into the fact that I was going to win and, it was it was more competitive than the Shoney fight, but I, it his experience and, and ability level showed. Yeah, I think I you got to go into the deep waters with those guys to kind of really understand what experience really means. Yeah, yeah. See, Adrian was a, a pro, really. You know, he'd done pro wrestling as well, and he'd been all over the world and stuff. And you're talking about a guy who fought Vanderlei Silva in Brazil in, you know, a bare knuckle. MMA fight. So, you know, <laughs> you can't pay for that experience. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I, I remember worrying about it because I remember talking to Adrian about the fight because Keith was young. You know, he was a kid and and Adrian kind of was like, no, no, but he, I, I know I've seen he's tough. He's tough. He's a tough kid, you know. So uh, Adrian was like, uh, he didn't act like he gave you respect is what I'm saying. You know, he didn't act like I'll play with him for a little while for you, for you. You know what I mean? It wasn't that at all. He he knew he was gonna have to take you serious. So like, but I remember having to have that conversation with because there was that doubt in my mind. But I do. Uh, the other thing I remember about the show is that uh, 
there was like a group of like guys from Mexico that crossed the border and covered a lot of the fights that fell apart. We did have a lot of fights falling apart uh, there. And, uh, you know, my hat's off to those guys from Mexico um, and their little matchmaker there because they helped us out. And also, Travis Luter debuted on that show. Oh, nice. Wow. Big. Wow. Who did Travis fall? He did the grappling tournament, didn't he? Or yeah, did he, he, did the, he, he did the Abu Dhabi tournament, and uh, that's where he qualified for that. And then, yeah, and from there he went on to, to, to fight and hook and shoot. And... All right, so so when I look at people's careers like yourself, Keith, that have got fights everywhere, you know, there, there's like kind of certain levels that you have to achieve to be experienced, you know, to be called like a like a veteran fighter. You know, it's like you've got to fight a guy that's fought in the UFC, maybe even a title contender. Um, you've got to take an airplane somewhere in order to, you know, get a fight. <laughs> and if I had to like pinpoint your first fight um, on an airplane, I would assume it's your 15th recorded fight against Matt Lee in Lowell, Massachusetts. Am I correct on that? That would be correct. Yes. Okay. How does a fight like that come together? So actually Miguel, I'll give him the credit for that one. Um, <laughs> so, so I've been fighting on the hook. Actually, honestly, who can shoot was to me like a, one of the premier shows. So I try to almost kind of avoid the Chicago circuit, even though I fought some of those fights, I kind of like going down to Evansville and competing. I thought the competition level was higher. The weigh-ins were better run. It was just a better run show at the time. Um, and, and you are a stickler for weight, for weight at weigh-ins. Like that is your pet peeve. Oh yeah. I, I like shows that start on time, weigh-ins that start on time. I mean. Yeah, I, but I you're a little obsessive about it and you should be, that's your job. You know, sounds, but even for your guys, it sounds petty, but uh, you know, it's not. the UFC always starts on time. So people probably don't realize this, but a lot of local shows wait till the crowd starts showing up to start. So nah. you're, you end up warming up for an extra hour than you want to warm up. You know, they start an hour, hour and a half late weigh-ins are late. The scales of the bathroom scale. It's just a lot of stuff that's frustrating. So when you can find someone that's doing it right, you kind of want to stick with them. Well, and I, and I also noticed about you, not only the way it started on time, but making sure everything's like to the T, the person makes weight. A lot of these times you go in, especially back then. Yeah, he made weight. Trust me. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Not going to go down like this. Or, well, he was a pound. He's, you know, he's, a, he's, he's, he's almost there. And, and I know a lot of people don't think that's a big deal. A pound or two. I think it is. You know, I mean, if you suck down and, and, go through that extra work and, and it, it taxes on you and you did, uh, they kind of need to do it too. So a lot of people, especially you can tell the hometown guy, they will try and do whatever they can to let him get by with murder. Okay, so, yeah. so, so, so Keith, did you think you finally made it at that point? Because you got your first, or you got your first flight to an event to fight somebody. Well, no, I wouldn't say that's making it, you know what I mean? But it was definitely. <laughs> You're on your road. So. Yeah. So that was the first fight I started cutting. I, it was a catch weight, but it was when I cut from 185, like 205, back to 170. So I went from like 55 when I was 16 to when I'm like 20. I, you know, I like 195, 198. I was competing. How'd you get that high? I'm a little husky. Okay. <laughs> a, little husky. Okay. a little husky now too. But, you know, I, people, <laughs> people didn't know about weight cutting. I mean, weight cutting, there were definitely – elite elite fighters that did some serious weight cutting but i don't think it was nearly as common in the sport <clears throat> then as it is now so i kind of learned a little bit more about cutting weight and i just focused more on fitness and 
instead of doing it all at once, I kind of went like 180, 175, 170. And uh, so Matt Lee, <coughs> Matt Lee was at 175, and that was a really, really good card. So when you talk about making it, I mean, that was by far the best card I'd fought on up to that point. I mean, I would well, say you probably had you probably had 10, 15 UFC guys on that card. Uh, Dana wow. White was Dana White was ringside. I think Tito Ortiz was ringside. Mickey Ward was ringside. I mean, it was wow. and there were probably well, it was in Lowell. That he's a pride of he's well, a pride of mass, baby. Let me tell you a shout out to Tom Hafers, who was the promoter on that. He bought me in as a matchmaker. And Tom put on three uh very classy shows in, in Massachusetts. These were at the Sangus Arena, which is a basically a ten thousand seat minor league hockey arena. You know they take their, their but it was a big arena. Wow. We didn't so so. But let, let me you know stars cross and sometimes you know guys don't do well and you wonder why, but you get bad luck sometimes. So the first show that we did under the U.S. MMA flag in in Massachusetts was on May eighteenth, two thousand two, and as Chris astutely pointed out, it was in Lowell, Massachusetts. That's the same day as Ward Gotti. The same. (laughs) We ran our first show there on the same day as one of the Ward Gotti fights. So that's a little rough. uh, Put a pull the pin and reschedule that one. Yeah, there were eight people there. (laughs) You know, the guys, these guys didn't make the bus that was going to Atlantic City. So they stuck around bitterly, you know, uh, at our (laughs) show. But yeah. So it was that type of thing. A, a Keith show was a little bit better run, and it was a, a, a better show that came in September. And um, yeah, it, it was a good show. And Matt Lee is a very, very tough guy too. And you're talking oh, about yeah. another guy who was conditioning first. You know, uh, he, he fought a lot of guys. You know, you, you know, Keith. I thought like if it was either that fight or it was Marco Masera who he fought in New Orleans. So. I know that the Masera fight was after. I don't know how long it was after. Um, it was I did the next fight. That that was a flight as well, but that was a, a strange situation. So I was on the. I don't know. Remember if I was just on a little bit of layoff and having trouble finding because I managed myself, having trouble finding a fight. But I, someone posted on the underground that they had a main event opening <laughs> in New Orleans, and I read about this. I feel like I feel like it may have been like Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I flew out like the next day. Like I, I read about it. Like the next morning, I'm on it. I called him in the middle of the night. Got on an airplane. You guys still see me? I lost. There you are. Yeah, we're here. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're here. So, so the, like the next day, I get on an airplane. I weigh in that night. You know, I get off the airplane, weigh in, and then I, I think I flew in on Thursday and fought on a Friday, if I remember right. And I spent the whole weekend there. But yeah, it was like probably less than 48 hours notice. Oh, okay, so I heard about the fight to when I fought. Did you have a job that you had to call in sick for, or did you just like what was that situation? I was pretty young then. I was probably, I'm guessing I was 20 ish, you know, 19, 20 ish. Um, I was a college student. I was I was in the National Guard, um, and I was I, think I was probably delivering pizzas just as so. I mean, so there was no call, no show. There wasn't anything I couldn't get out of. You know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't going to be a big deal. It's just, who cares? I'm not even telling yeah. them I'm going. <laughs> you know that you uh you got a knockout in that. Were they were they shocked? Like, how silent was the audience when you knocked out uh, with Marco Mercero, who is very tough, I might add. 
he he is he's more of a grappler um they were not silent actually there it was uh not a huge arena it's a nightclub they used to do these it was a little bit like finkies up here where they do these monthly fights at at a nightclub but they would do like one or two pretty good pro fights to cap the night off but it was one of those where you clip the guy but he can't quite fall so he stumbles into the corner and i threw I don't know, maybe 15, 20 straight punches, and the ref actually jumped in and waved it off standing. So, Cod was pretty fired up, and I came out to the Grateful Dead, so they were probably even more fired up about that. That's, what song? Do you remember? Uncle John's Band. Oh, man. So, uh, you know, what's funny is the promoter of the event was Melvin Gillard's original, like, instructor and, like, promoter and coach. And uh, you, you talk to Melvin about the guy, and he's just – it gives you about 30 minutes. You know, you, you don't know if it's up or down or left, right, center. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. He's, uh, he's, he's a pretty strange guy from what I remember. I mean, it was just that one weekend, but. What do you recall it, about that? Because Melvin pretty much insinuated that as well. He was, he was kind of a blowhard. He, he didn't mind talking himself up a little bit. I don't want to run him down because he was nice enough to me, but he was, he was strange. <laughs> I always said it was a long, strange trip or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Came after that. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, Keith, after that, um, your 20th fight is against uh, Jorge Santiago um, from the American Top Team. So, that was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Was it Miguel again that got you that fight? Yes. Yeah, he was the match. I'm not sure he was your friend, Miguel. I'm speaking. I know. I mean, even though you're winning a lot of these, I think he's trying to get you beat. That's my thought. I don't know. I mean, I I, I appreciate his effort, but I just didn't think he had it in him. <laughs> uh, walk us uh, through that fight, man. Yeah, walk us through it. So I was real familiar with him because uh, I had flown down to Florida for AFC five, and I believe he fought fighter i'm pretty familiar with Derek noble on that card so i'd watched him oh. fight no um i think john colossi one of my teammates at the time fought so he's pretty good grappler pretty good striker real long athletic um but i felt like i matched up pretty well with him uh fight did not go my way for the first two rounds he uh he got me in two really tight triangles mounted me at one point so <clears throat> Um, I was definitely down two rounds to nothing, but he, he gassed and they played my fight song, which got me fired up before the third round. They mm-hmm. played, uh, Manfred man's, uh, mighty Quinn version got me fired up and I was able to kind of wear him out and put him away in the third. That was that Rocky moment. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, they've done this a couple of times. Like I fought Steve Berger years later and I'd come out to, uh, God, who'd I come out to Jackson Browns these days. You familiar with that song? Yeah. So they played it, same thing. It really got me fired up, and third round was all mine. So, so Jorge Santiago, obviously Miguel lined that up. AFC was kind of like a feeder show. I shouldn't say a feeder show. It was more of a, a showcasing of the American Top Team fighters. So they would bring in guys. Fair. and Yeah, I mean, they, they, it was pretty much kind of like the red or blue corner, wherever the American Top Team was in, blue corner. Uh, that whole side of the locker room generally got their hand raised that night. Um, Jorge Santiago was kind of uh, obviously he's not with them anymore but at the time he was kind of uh, the cornerstone of their gym of the up and comers um, I, I think you probably surprised a lot of people uh, with that victory I, I would say I was probably the underdog um, well, for sure you were 
I'm not. I mean, I, you say that. And maybe Miguel and the American top team says. Not in, your, I, not in your head, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I felt good about that matchup. I actually think I got a couple tough breaks early that, you know, I, I, I feel like I probably could have won those first two rounds. They just, you know, had a couple near takedowns, got tangled up in the ropes, and he got a nice slam on me. He's, he's tough. He's a good fighter. I don't, I'm definitely not taking anything away from him, but I didn't feel like an underdog in that fight. Yeah, he's a, he's a monster. He, I think he's a Kamaru Usman's trainer now. Yeah, he's he's a beast. He's a beast. Um, he he bulked up to eighty five and had a you know pretty. I think he had a lot of good success. Run. Eighty five. I mean, he had a good mm-hmm. run. Yeah, no, for sure. So then you get seven wins in a row. You including that, and you get offered to fight a Militage Fighting Systems uh, guy by the name of Jason Black, who was a savage beast wrestler real boring in terms of just like fighting style, but his wrestling was so dominant. He tended to nullify a lot of people. And you decided to kind of test your wrestling acumen against, against his, uh, his pressure. Yeah. I, uh, I can't remember how the black fight exactly came about. You know, it was just kind of a, it, it, we we're both Midwest guys, same way, kind of a, I think black should have already been in the UFC when I fought him, but because some people found his fighting style, you know, not as exciting, I think he didn't get as many opportunities, but because he hadn't already gotten that call up, it was kind of a fight that was destined to happen. Well, keep um, in mind too that they had, they had Militich still active Hughes and Laverne Clark. That's three guys in that way. And Robbie Lawler. And, and, and Lawler, even then he had a cup of coffee back then. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that was at 170 also. So yeah. Uh, to, you know, unfortunately, Jason Black fell through the cracks. Yeah. So, so I, I feel, I feel like at the time he was probably better than Lawler, although not as exciting. And he definitely, I agree with that. and and as good as Laverne Clark is, I mean, Laverne Clark's a dangerous fighter at that time. But I, I feel like Jason Black was a lot better than Laverne Clark as well. He would I mean, take I, him down and held him down. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's a guy that didn't get the credit he was due. I, I. I got a lot of respect for that guy. Well, how can you not? How can you not? You know, so so Chris and Miguel, we talk about like crazy runs in MMA. Like, you know, sometimes we, we, we throw together, you when we do our long form podcast, we kind of talk about just different aspects of MMA that most people don't talk about. In 2004, let me make, read this so I, I make sure I get it properly. The record <laughs> of opponents that Keith fought in 2004 during this you know, seven fight win streak was 81 wins, 21 losses and three draws. And the majority of those losses was by one fighter. And that's Kyle Jensen, who, as you had mentioned earlier, Keith, he's one of those guys that was, he'd get right to a certain point and take a real bad fight and knock himself off the UFC radar. But several times in his career, he was on the UFC radar and was an absolute stud in a difficult fight. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, he traveled mostly in that Minnesota circuit, so I didn't see him fight a ton. But, you know, he beat some relatively good people. I think he probably had some somewhat of a padded victory record. He fought on some of those ultimate Minnesota cards. And I, I would say some of the guys he fought weren't great fighters. but For sure. But he had a ton of wins. He didn't have that. When I fought him, he didn't have, I think he was like 28 and 7 or something when I fought him. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had a decent record. Real um, good. Yeah. Um, he mostly a wrestler though, you know, that was his strength. And I felt like I was probably going to be the better wrestler and that's 
that's kind of how it played out. So a few and of the other names on that, on that list were Steve Berger, Derek Noble, and Carlo Prater. <laughs> Tough guys, man. <laughs> now, now on, on a different note, Keith, I know you're talking about these guys being good wrestlers, but you feel like your wrestling's better. How did that happen when you weren't like a high school wrestler? You know what I mean? So that's a big regret for mine. I, I, I went to uh, Portage High School. Uh, and they great wrestling school. Yeah, yeah, really, you know, especially at that time, you know, maybe the best public school in the state. Now, Evansville Modern Day was a better private school, but definitely one of the top three or four wrestling programs in the state. Um, but, you know, I, at the time I got into the sport, wrestling was almost kind of going out of fashion. That was kind of when the Stalin brawl tactics were happening and, mm. you know, Maurice Smith had upset Coleman and I submissions were kind of a big thing, you know, and I just, and I don't mean to discount wrestling because I, to me, I think it's the best base a fighter could come in with, but at the time I could have wrestled, I thought wrestling wasn't that important. So I didn't take advantage of that opportunity and I, I wish I had, but after high school, you know, Justin and I both really focused on, on improving our wrestling. Uh, we both went to, they did these regional workouts here where the wrestlers would get together at different, different wrestling rooms and workouts. We'd go there. And then I had a couple buddies, you know, Davion Peterson, you know, you oh, yeah, of and then John Fitch, both, trained, oh, yeah. both at Purdue. So I'd go down Heard there and him. wrestle some. So, I mean, I, wrestling became a focus. It just wasn't when I was younger. And then we actually got, we got several state champions come through my gym. We had Darren Elkins, obviously. Uh, but we also had Jason Tabor. Later, we had Sean McMurray. We had probably 20 state placers and college wrestlers come through the gym. So Man. even though I never wrestled, our gym became like a hotbed of some of the best wrestlers in the region. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, yeah. Now, Mike, real quick question for you here. Um, you know, I, I remember I saw Keith fight once up in, in Fort Wayne. Uh, he fought for – there was no time. It was a 31-minute fight. I think if he already passed that up, was that a long time in his past? C.J. Fernandez, he already passed that fight up. No, I think that one's coming up. Yeah. We're way, okay. we're, we're way past that one. Oh, are I we really? So. Okay. I mean, okay. by this time, it's time limits in 2004. Did you, did you, you fought a 31-minute fight against C.J. Fernandez. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So <laughs> – so a couple of fights. Who's back got then. a huge record too? I might add for those at home. Yeah, see, I, yeah, I like Chris, he, Chris, Chris fought CJ for me. Yeah, and C, uh, CJ broke Chris, Chris's short. Uh, see that bone right there? That's yeah. CJ's doing. How it his, still sticks out. His clavicle so. or shoulder and stuff. He did that, that right shoulder first round. First the minute. first first minute of the fight with a slam. And, and Chris beat him in a six or seven minutes. So. <laughs> I guess it was like 10 minutes in, man. <laughs> it felt like it. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> it sucked. I got it. Cut. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. The legendary Tell City. Yeah. I, Ugh, I hated it. Hey, the, the funny part, real quick for me at that afterwards, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, Tell City. I was like, yeah, I got to go. They're like, let's go to the hospital. I was like, I don't want to go here. Let's go back to Indy. About a three hour drive. So, Tony Ross bought me a six pack of beer and gave me two pills. I don't know what they were. So I take it. I'm driving home about halfway there. I'm like, I think it's all right. It doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> like we're going to the hospital, Chris. All right. You know, so they were right. It's, it's messed up. 
<laughs> to give them credit, they I, I helped them out with the hospital bill. You know, with hey, the early days that's on that. How I knew, but, like Miguel was it. Because he didn't even charge me for the six pack. <laughs> That's cool, man. <laughs> but uh well, so okay, back to your 31 minute fight. My God, tell us a little bit about that. That's nuts. So early I fought a couple fights where I think a cut two fights where there are no time limits, and I fought a couple fights with pretty close to like Valley Tudo rules with headbutts and the whole bit. You know, soccer kicks, knees to the head on the ground. But, you know, that wasn't all that uncommon then. Um, I think some of the early who can shoots had basically Valley Tudo rules. I think they even did a couple in like a somebody's bedroom. They did the fights. If you get some old tapes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. With the wood paneling. Yes. Yes. I remember that distinctly. <laughs> so it was at a ice hockey arena. It was a pretty nice show there. Um uh, and I actually got the better of that fight early. I expected maybe to wear him out. He kind of had a reputation of gassing. And I controlled probably the first 20 minutes of that fight, even though he cut me early. So it, it ended up being like a slip and slide we were fighting in. But I actually gassed later, and he started winning late in the fight. And I don't know. I think he finished me, at, like you said, right around 31, 32 minutes. And I was – that was the only <laughs> – one of the few fights I've ever really had to go to the hospital. I mean, I was in pretty bad shape, like dehydration, concussion. I had to get stitched. I mean, I was I was senior in high school then, so I was pretty young. Um, Jesus. But that was, would, would your teachers talk to you about this? Or what, what, what was the feel at your high school? Is there a problem like, coming at back? home? Should we call yeah. somebody? You know? Do we got DCFS? <laughs> you know, what, what, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> I didn't think it, was, it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, I, I kind of felt like I was doing something a little different than everyone else. So I would kind of bring the VHS tapes in and try to show people, you know, nah, this is what it is. It's kind of cool. But it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, it really wasn't that huge of a deal. I mean, I, okay, I don't to you, but I yeah. think, you know, you, you look at some of the administrators and, you know, the teaching field, like today, they're horrified by it. I can't even imagine like, that's yeah, the Wisniewski's, you know, hey, you know, we'll talk later. <laughs> don't don't say anything to him <laughs> i feel like when i was in my early 20s you know and all the way through to when i retired you know i had somewhat of a kind of a local a lot of people knew who i was from owning the gym and training other local fighters but really when i first started in the sport none of these fights were local you know and they're not on tv so yeah yeah other than other than maybe a vhs tape i might bring into the class to show somebody you know i mean Nobody even really knows about it. It's just something <laughs> kind of, they sort of know you're doing it, but it's not a big deal. What are you yeah, doing this weekend? Are... I'm going to go smoke pot in my mom's like attic. You know, hopefully, you know, she goes out to bingo that night. What about you? I'm going to drive five hours to go fight in a league, you know, in some sort of Cage. UFC veteran and with a dubious promoter with no insurance. That's... Hey, but, but I'm going to get paid 200 bucks. So Yeah. You know what though, Chris? He, he Keith was right. It is different than <laughs> what other people were doing. Huh? Absolutely, I, I do remember that when uh, you were my my the late great Tony Ross was uh, fought that night, and he was at the hospital. He's like, I ran into was this kid, kind of I think he was getting stitched up. You were getting stitched up. So, oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right, so Keith, let's talk about two thousand five. You go to Japan. I think it's, it's your first time to Japan. Am I correct? 
Uh, my only time. You only time. So you never cornered there either. Am I? So Justin fought there, and then I think maybe Colossi might have fought there, but Justin didn't get a corner. And I think when Colossi fought there, if I remember right, Justin was some one of the Doolin guys fought there, but I think Justin went and cornered. So that's the only time I've been in Japan. So Shinya Ayaki Aoki was your opponent, and it was a real weird submission that you had lost by. So it was actually, a, I don't even know if you'd call it a submission. I think it's, and I, I've never done judo, like official judo, but Aoki's a really decorated judoka guy in Japan. And I think he was going for a throw. So it kind of like hyper extends and locks out your arm and that pressure is kind of supposed to drive you to the mat. But I didn't really go with it. I resisted it. And like the moment he exploded into it, my elbow dislocated. So <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sake that night, you know. I still went to the bar and put a few back. But did you go to Rapungi? Was it Rapungi? What's what's yeah, it called? Rapungi. That is that's where I went. It. Yeah, yeah. I was with. Uh, I didn't get a corner man there. Uh, just they weren't willing to pay, so it was. Uh, John Fitch was cornering uh, Brian Ebersol. So Fitch yeah. cornered me, and I think Ebersol might have even cornered me. It was always so neat, man. When you would go over, when you go over to Japan like that, and th that happened sometimes. Like you didn't have a corner, so like you and the other Americans all stuck together and cornered each other. You know, it was like kind of us against the world. I remember doing that several times. Yeah, uh, Russia too. I I went to Russia without a corner, and it was the same way. Strasser and I think Miguel actually cornered me. So yeah, it's it is kind of nice. You know, you you do band together pretty tight. You make some good friends from those trips. Absolutely. You lose your experience at like in nineties, didn't you, Chris? What's that? You fought in Japan in the 90s, didn't you? 90s and, and early 2000s. Yeah, I went to Japan a lot. I really I really enjoyed going over there. And, you know, every time we'd, we'd, we'd fight and then, you know, you'd go to uh, Rapungi for the night and stay out all night. You'd take the subway back at 6 in the morning and take a shower and go to your flight. That's a, that was a routine every time. Like, I'm going to sleep all the way home now. It's going to be great. <laughs> Keith, yeah, did you like Rapungi? Like, what was your – I mean, you're from Northwest Indiana. That that's a uh, and granted, you're pretty well traveled for somebody from your area, but that, that's such. A, there's a pretty big difference between where you live and and what you experience there. Yeah, I, you know, even like a big city like Chicago, it doesn't really compare in the size and scope of Tokyo. Like, we probably drove for like 40 minutes and we're still in high rises. I mean, it was <laughs> pretty incredible how many people, how populated that city is, and. Just it's almost New York's kind of comparable with the hustle and bustle, I guess. And I don't know other city that I've been to other than New York probably really compares in the hustle and bustle. Um, obviously, for a foreigner, I mean, if you're going to go to to Tokyo and you're looking to have a good time, Rapungi is probably the place you want to go because honestly, it's strange. But girls will mm -hmm. buy you drinks. They'll ask you to dance. I mean, it's it's a different world for a karaoke. You know, for a that's where they want you to go. That's where they want you to go. You got to be sneaky and find out where they go. That's what you got to do. <laughs> Let me ask you, but talk about Aoki because this is a special fight. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Aoki, He's a legend. And, and, and <clears throat> he came up with a, a, a reputation through the Shudo system as being the next guy kind of thing, like the post Karuno stuff and the post room in the side, you know, post like the next guy of that weight class. And he's turned into a pretty good thing, a pretty good guy. 
talk about like how that was presented to you, how that came about. Yeah, how did you land it? So, and you know, what you got paid. <laughs> the the Oki fight was kind of a bookend for me. So, you know, we're talking about kind of streaks, and that I actually fought six times in six months at that point. Yeah. So I fought. Please. I fought August against Jason Black. I fought September against Kyle Jensen. October against uh, Steve Berger. Uh, November against Derek Noble. Uh, December against uh, Carlo Prater. And then the last fight of that run was against Aoki. And is pretty talented group of fighters. I mean, at the time, I some like Aoki ended up being, I would say Aoki was legitimately probably top five in the world at a time at 155. I mean, he was, I think he was the pride champ, wasn't he for, a, for a bit? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. So, I mean, I would say he, he probably had of that group of people, the best career, but I mean, I think you can make the argument that black may have been the most decorated fighter as well. I mean, it was just a pretty solid six fights in a row. Phenomenal and, run. Phenomenal and, run. And Aoki wasn't like this huge step up opponent it was just another guy you know another payday a chance to go to japan he was one of the lesser experienced guys even though he was really really respected for his judo um how did you land the fight so who can shoot who i'd fought for quite a bit had cut a deal with uh with shudo so I had gotten some shooto connections through them, and then I also fought for the Ironheart Crown locally, and they had connections with shooto. So I fought, I fought a guy who took a last-minute replacement on Ironheart Crown and beat him, and then the next Ironheart Crown I was the main event event against Noble. So that November fight was a A-class shooto main event fight, and when I won that, they approached me about coming to Japan to fight. Okay. So, so let me ask you about like local politics now in terms of the fight world. Why did you and Jason Chambers never fight? Um, Jason was I mean, from like the lethal weapon. He was on a TV show. I think, oh, he's, I, a, I think he's got a Henzo Gracie school in Florida right now. I mean, respected teacher, black belt, but you two, I, I was always surprised that you two never met up. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's just kind of a, fluke thing we fought on several of the same cards really early like when i'm six he's maybe a year or two older than me not much because i think he was yeah. fighting he was like 17 and i was 16 on the same cards we were <laughs> around the same weight um we never ended up fighting and then i think he moved to california you know i kind of went on to bigger bigger fights than when he was fighting he and then he moved to california and we just we just never ended up fighting um I like Jason quite a bit. He's a, he was a likable guy, you know, as a co- confident, you know, maybe the point of being cocky in some people's minds, but I always really liked him. Got along. Oh, he him. dressed to the nines with the sunglasses on inside. Yeah, no, he was, he was a character. Man. I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed watching him fight too. I really did, man. I liked him a lot. Um, from there, you go on to Bodog. Miguel, it seems that Miguel is, has been kind of carrying you wherever he goes. He tends to bring one, at least one of the Wisniewski's with him. You know, I, I just and I both had a really, really good working relationship with Miguel. I, to, in my opinion, that's my favorite matchmaker of all time, both as a fighter and then later as a manager. You know, I doing the guys and I, 
I honestly feel like we show up, we make weight as a team, we fight hard, we have an exciting style. So I think it's probably part of the reason he recruited us is because we fulfilled our end. But when I talk about like a stickler for for filling the contract, Miguel was that to a T. And when things couldn't go the way, you know, guys pulled out or an event got canceled or something went wrong, he would do everything he could to make it right. And beyond that, and I think any fighter that fought in those circuits will tell you there really wasn't a show that was much more fun. Like the group of people that surrounded the show and there was a pretty large group and they all traveled with it. Like a Bob, Corey Waha, Bob Long, yeah. Wes Callens, you know, Wes Callens was, I was seeing Wes Callens 15 years later. I mean, he hadn't fought. I don't even think he, trained. <laughs> he was always at those shows and he's a real good guy. Um, so yeah, yeah, I used I was, to go to a lot of those too. Miguel used to take care, take that's how my relationship with Miguel started. I, I mean, I wasn't at that show, but Miguel would take me to a bunch of those as well. I, well to me, it was it was the most fun as a fighter to go to those shows. The The post-fight atmosphere was a good time. The, the event was going to be run right, and you were just going to have a lot of fun with it. You know, Keith, Keith was one of those guys where as things got bigger, you know, you can't re- reward everybody, you know, bring everybody along kind of thing. But Keith was one of those guys that, I, I think he summed it up early, right? It's, you, we were talking about how he's a stickler for the weigh-ins and stuff like that. But really, that's just about it. Everything else was just pretty low maintenance and stuff, you know? You have yeah. Keith, how many times have you pulled out of a fight because of an injury? So I'm trying to remember if I ever did. <laughs> but that's it. That's part of the being low maintenance, you know? Like, you've had fights canceled, but not often. I fought through some pretty decent injuries you know i like that six fight streak i broke my hand in that during that early in that streak i think i broke in the jensen fight maybe in the burger <laughs> fight i broke my nose in the burger fight um and i rebroke it really bad in the prater fight you know i mean i remember i i fought that aoki fight and i dislocated my elbow and after i dislocated my elbow it was like weird if you bumped my elbow at all i would just completely lose feeling it would hang at my side so my next, my next fight was actually for Miguel. It was uh, I fought Musayil Ladinov in uh, in Bodog. In, yeah. yeah, well, no, it wasn't Bodog, but it was a uh, MFC. It was called in Atlantic Before, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of okay. predated Bodog. It was you know similar, similar fighters, similar organization, but different, different. Players. I think it was all the same players, but a different name. But it's listed as Bodog online. Is it really? Yeah, at least from what I found. Bodog didn't didn't exist at that point you know Bodog okay. was probably two years after that or so yeah that 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 promoter vlad was the guy who signed the partnership with bodog later so it was the okay. same like official promoter but it was pre-bodog like in terms of funding but but i was having like leading up to that fight i my arm probably just went completely dead where i couldn't i mean it, i could handle the pain but i couldn't use it it would hurt but i couldn't use the arm it'd be completely immobile for like two minutes and this happened quite a bit in practice leading up to it so why, why would you give yourself some time off you know you gotta make the mortgage or the rent at that time probably <laughs> but uh well, i mean i'd already committed to the fight i wanted to do it and the injury started to fade you know i it wasn't happening anymore so i go out there i'm warming up in the ring i was with uh, irish tom mccoy he was one of my teammates justin didn't make the trip i I assume somebody else must have been fighting that day. 
And we're just kind of going through the motions in the cage, warming up, doing some clinch work. And I threw a knee that was supposed to hit him in the body, but it clipped my elbow and it just went dead for like three minutes. And this is probably <laughs> what, maybe three hours before the fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was kind of a, a different time. You, I promoted fights later and I saw how hard it was to replace people last minute, how, how much worse the fights ended up being. You'd get these guys that weren't good opponents. They didn't, they hadn't sold any tickets. So it'd kill you in that sense. Yeah. Just the matchups ended up being terrible. And I didn't want to do that. You know, I kind of, I always wanted to fill my end of the obligation. You know what key too? I think back then just, you know, at least myself, I don't know if improper training, but you just trained hard all the time. And I don't ever remember not being hurt for a fight. You know, I mean, there's different levels of being really hurt or not hurt, but you always had something you were, I mean, the thought of pulling out really wasn't in there. You know what I mean? I mean, you were always kind of hurt. You know what I mean? I think it was a different mentality in a different era. And like, you didn't take four months between fights and make sure everything's perfect. You would just fight a lot off very often. It seemed like, and you just fought hurt. I just think that was more of the thing. Would you disagree with that? I, I do. I think, you know, fighting was almost part of training, you know, especially early on, you know, you, you wouldn't even really get up for a fight separate from training you train, right. You know, you might train on Friday and then go fight Saturday until you get to a certain <laughs> point in your career. Yeah. And then you sort of have that habit, you know, you, you're so used to fighting through injuries. And, and like you said, you're never really a hundred. And I think that's probably any sport, you know, any contact sport. I mean, I'm sure football players, you can see them out there with casts, you know, playing in the yeah. NFL days. So I, I don't think it's unique, but I, I was never, I was never highfalutin about. Oh, so, so, the, which so there's two things that I'm taking away from this one, Miguel, we make a big deal about 50 fight club members. Like we really do. Like it's, it's something special that we like honor and cherish. And you don't see other podcasts doing it because they're not even thinking that way. But at the end of the day, you just watch two fifty fight club members just go, well, yeah, dude, you just got to fight. It's like, it's your job. You got to go to work, right? You go to work and you only pay your bills, but it's just, it's more of like an honor thing. Like you commit to a fight, you got to do it no matter how banged up you are, because you're going to be hurt anyway. However, in this fight, you know, injuries aside and i remember talking to you about that you're like yeah my hand goes numb and you know i'm like well keith you know it's a telltale sign of a heart attack or a pinched nerve <laughs> probably a pinched nerve dude you know maybe go chiropractor <laughs> or whatever and you're like eh, i'll just keep working out with it but, <laughs> work it work through it yeah i'm just gonna work it out but in that fight the surprising thing to me was you knocked him out and derek noble who in my opinion probably had some of the heaviest hands in the region wasn't able to accomplish that fact. And it was also Musil's last fight that he had ever fought. Like whatever transpired that night, he, he didn't want any more of it. Like he, he, his, <laughs> his fight career was over and he's a Russian red devil. Is that your second Russian red devil that you had fought at that time? Yes, it was. It was my, I, I ended up fighting three guys from the red devil team, but that was my second. Musail, if I'm not mistaken, I think Musail passed away. Um, Oh, really? I'm mean, not, really? not like right after that, but maybe 10 years later, I think he got murdered, like a political wow. murder. And he was in, he was from, I don't want to say Russia, but like a satellite state. And I can't remember. I couldn't tell you offhand, but I remember. Yeah, he was Kazakhstani or, or, or Ooh, something. Yeah, yeah. I think that is it. I think he was from maybe Dagestan. If, if there I'm you go. So, wow. so, so yeah, the, uh, 
Keith, you 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 talked about the Shoney Carter fight and how that was the only time you've been knocked out, you know, and that this might be something where, um, you know, your toughness maybe works again. You know, maybe maybe instead of getting concussed a couple of times, you go to sleep, it would have been a little easier on you because there were a couple of times where you had that con- concussions in fights, and then you know it doesn't sound like at Doomland you guys treated it like you know, with kid gloves there. So talk, talk about like the after effects and, and like how, how you adjusted in, 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 you know, in the latter part of your career to the headshots. Talk about how many concussions you think you've had. So, well, you talk about the Musail fight. I was probably down two rounds to nothing in that fight. And I actually got dropped twice. And to me, typically, if you get dropped in your leg, you have no legs under you, you know, where you concussion. can't even stand, you probably got a concussion. Um, <laughs> Oh, but you don't know, know that. <laughs> know right. Who, me? Yeah, who, but, me? You know, <laughs> those were relatively mild concussions. I mean, I've had, if I had to estimate, I would say I've probably had maybe 150 concussions, for sure over 100 in my life. Um, and, wow. And, and I'm almost positive they're concussions. You know, I mean, I've had times in the gym, quite a few times. I mean, guys... If you interview some of the Doolin guys from that time who sparred with me, I mean, I've had a fair amount of sparring matches and we, we sparred pretty hard at Doolin where I'd actually stop the other guy, you know, I'd land a body shot or something and we'd have to stop sparring. But a minute or two before that, I got caught with something and that's probably why I turned up the intensity and, and ended up stopping the other guy. But I'm trying to remember my mom's maiden name, my birthday, you know, I mean, serious memory loss and it would last for several hours so wow Un- undoubtedly those are concussions you know what i mean for sure you, you know what's nuts you know what's nuts, sure. keith i would have to say and i've fought enough a lot i think i probably had one concussion i can ever think of yeah i don't know why that is isn't that weird i mean even as a kid i i got a few concussions like football soccer even you know middle school age you know i was always any type of headshots, I would have issues with memory loss and dizziness. So wow, and they weren't to the point where, like, like Miguel said, I I wasn't prone to getting knocked unconscious, and I could usually kind of, you know, find enough equilibrium to get my legs back under me and fight through it. But yeah, I don't think that was obviously that's not good for your health. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not positive I have bad effects from it, but for sure it's not something I would recommend to people. Okay, so so from there you go on to fight Carlo Prick again. So yeah, the second fight. Is this for a payday or is this like pride? Because you you'd already beat him once. Uh, you know, I guess both. You know, the the first fight was a good fight. It was the best of our three fights by far. It was a really good fight. Um, I got a little hometown cooking in that fight. I uh, I scored a takedown and got triangle rear mount. I don't know, maybe a minute into the fight and he like scooted back. So just his feet were outside the ropes. Like everything else was inside the ropes, but his feet were outside the ropes and the ref jumped in and stood us up. He was kind of, <laughs> oh my God. He was kind of the local boy. And then I'm winning this fight. It's a good fight. It's competitive. And with like, Oh, I don't know. 30 seconds to go. He gets a reversal on me in, in this third round. He gets a reversal on me and lands like seven or eight really good elbows. And just my nose was already broken from the burger fight. But this was like broken where the tip is touching over here. I mean, it's it's a pretty good break. And it's pouring like a faucet. 
Well, I, re I reversed him, got on top, and there's probably like eight seconds to go, maybe seven seconds to go. I'm in his guard, and the ref jumps in and breaks it up. And then wants to take me to get checked by the doctor so they can stop the fight. And what a scumbag. They're, they're trying to wave it off. Like the doctor's trying to stop the fight with like six seconds to go. And the promoters, to their credit, uh, Lee Coates and uh, Rob Branoff said, no, this, this has got to go to the cards, you know. So, it, and I actually think the buzzer, before he could even drag me off a of crater, the buzzer had already sounded. You know what I mean? But yeah, there was definitely some home cooking in that fight. Uh, Prater was their champion. So it was kind of like a rematch. You know, I took the belt from him, immediate rematch type situation. And I felt it was a big enough show that, and it, it was a really good regional show at that time. That, oh, for sure. I got, I got it on DVD. Yeah. I felt like as their champion, you know, I should fight whoever they put across from me. Okay. Okay. Well, so you were oh, okay. All right. So fair enough. Now from there, what I really enjoyed was, well, when you're from a certain region, unless you're from California, because us Midwest guys kind of feel like those California people get a lot handed to them. Like there's a lot of nerf coding when it comes to bringing their fighters up. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging their toughness or their skill level or anything like that. It's just, it, it's just like, seems things seem easier when you're from that side of the country, rather than if you're, you know, Keith, you're driving all over the Midwest, you know, trying, trying to get a fight. And at this point you get called up to the UFC and the fight, because the way you had been kind of maneuvering in terms of, of, of your fights, you and Nick Thompson were on a collision course. And I thought I was going to see it locally somewhere. And it was just going to be awesome because I was going to be ringside for it. And <laughs> it got pulled to the UFC. So uh, how does uh, the call to the UFC come about? And were you surprised that Nick Thompson was going to be your opponent? But Nick Thompson wasn't my original opponent. So okay. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say. Who I was the original, surprised. you remember? So it was Joe Riggs. Okay. I was scheduled to fight Joe Riggs and uh, Matt Hughes was scheduled to fight. God, I can't remember. For the life of me, I can't remember who Matt Hughes was scheduled to fight. Carl Hughes... Parisian. You might be right. That Yeah, I bet you're right about that. So uh, anyhow, that, that fight. Actually, I don't think so. Because that might have been. I think that was pre-Caro. I don't think Caro was in the UFC yet. He was. Yeah. <laughs> you might be right. You may well be right. Anyways, if Riggs st stepped up and took that fight on kind of, you know, not crazy short notice, but like two weeks notice. Yeah. And that, that's how I ended up fighting Thompson. Was there a difference in pay or did he just say, hey, you're fighting Nick Thompson? Like, what? Two and two was kind of the standard at that point. I, at least to my knowledge for like a debut. Entry level, were, yeah. Yeah, unless you were like connected or you know had a really big name from some other organization, if you just fought your way up to the ranks, that's kind of what the. So that's what I was getting. Uh, was it difficult fighting somebody that you guys obviously had seen each other fight at least a half dozen times live a piece in your UFC debut? Was it was that a difficult task? No, you know Nick and I were friends. We had trained together actually. We we trained together after that fight. Uh, still. I mean, I, it's been years ago, but Nick actually came to Doonlin after he retired. So he had been, you know, he's a lawyer then, you know, he hadn't fought in years and he came and trained with us. So, but throughout my career, I fought a fair amount of people that, you know, 
maybe not like close friends, but you know, guys that I had a ton of respect for, you know, guys that I would consider. And Nick was one of them. Nick was a friend, you know, but it's not a big deal. It's just a sport. You're just competing against, uh, you know, another guy across the cage from you. Yeah, that whole, like- Wisconsin, that whole Wisconsin scene, there was a lot of characters there. You know, Brian Garrity, Pat O'Malley, Ron Faircloth, <laughs> uh, Jamil Masu. I mean, there were, there's you know, a lot of talent up there. A lot of talent oh, in yeah. Wisconsin. I, I was real guys. I mean, I was really good friends with Strasser. And then Strasser promoted a show. And so Doonland guys, a lot of the Doonland guys kind of cut their chops up there on Strasser's show. So, yeah, I, I really like that whole crew. Yeah, that was part. I mean, you know, when you go down, even start, you know, from the early days with the Florida show and the AFC, when you go down there and, you know, you got Strasser's, he's got guys on the show fighting ATT guys and stuff. You guys start to circle the wagons and make, you know, make like a team kind of thing. So, yeah, there was a lot of camaraderie. Yeah, we kind of had a joke. We were the Midwest top team, you know, down there challenging the uh, the American top team. So, yeah, I mean, they they weren't. They weren't actually doing them guys, and we weren't actually Strasser guys, but they were about as close as you could be to a teammate down there. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, Keith, at those AFC shows, yeah, I'm glad we're, we're kind of retouching on this, so I, I don't have to backtrack on a question. On those AFC shows, Wade Rome and Din Thomas were doing color commentary, and Din and Wade would use that opportunity to be like, it's you know their time at the Chuckle Hut. And they would work out their materials and they would concentrate on anybody from the Midwest, whether you looked funny or they didn't like your haircut or your, your, your type of shorts. And they, they were real kind of like high school snobby, just, just kind of jerks on, on the color commentary. And Nick Thompson stood up to Din Thomas and wouldn't allow him to like continue disrespecting anybody from the Midwest and was very vocal about, no, 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 I'm fighting you next, Din. No, 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 I've heard what you said. And it was, it was kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, it made me happy. Like, you know, I'm not even working out with any of you guys. And I'm like, get up, Nick. You know, whether he won or lost, at least, you know, he's confronting someone that's embarrassing somebody on DVD. Did you ever experience, like, those little those sidebar comments from either of those two? Well, I mean, they did the commentary for uh... – for me and Santiago and they were pretty dismissive of me. I mean, in all fairness, he won the first two rounds pretty one-sidedly, but you, they're, they're American top team guys. You know, Dean, Tom, Dean Thomas was basically a trainer at that point. I mean, he was still fighting, but he was one of the head trainers, you know, so he's still over there. I think, Oh no, no, he left. He left as well. Left. Yeah. So, so you're talking about, you know, he's, he's the color commentary for all his teammates. I, it's not shocking that the the commentary is a little biased, you know. I find <laughs> I wouldn't say I, it was a little biased. It was kind of mean, like it was intentionally mean. I think it's kind of funny. It, it <laughs> <actually gets laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Keith. It's that's Keith. Yeah, I, I, mean, ble- I bleed a lot, but I got thick skin. It's cool. Fair enough. All right, so now we're we're revisiting Bodog, even though this is your first time fighting for them. And you fight Jorge Masvidal in a controversial, uh, in my opinion, it was a controversial loss. I, I would think most people would think that. I mean, if you watch the fight, I would assume you'd think it's controversial. I, I don't have any doubt that I won that fight. There's quite a few fights in my career that were really close, split decision losses, could have went either way. 
I don't think that was one of those fights. I'm pretty sure I won that fight. Um, but judges gave it to him, so I, I can't say a whole lot about it other than, you know, I've watched, I've rewatched that fight probably four or five times, you know, just especially with him having all that success. I kind of curious just to go back to see how we did against each other. And I'm pretty sure I should have won that fight. So you're checking all the boxes years later going, yep, yep. <laughs> Miguel was cage side. And I think me and Justin both give him kind of dirty look when they read, uh, or uh, George's name. So, yeah, I, I thought I won that fight. Now, how was dealing with him going up until that fight? Like, uh, did he have the same persona as now or was a little more relaxed, amped up? Like, how was he at that point? I, I'm, I don't really care for the guy. That's probably one of the only – that's really the only fighter I can think of in my career that I really dislike. There's a few guys that were kind of <laughs> – cold shoulder to you a little bit you know not friendly so it's it's not that they're you know being rude to you but they don't want to talk they're not wanting to give hugs after the fight you know they're just going there do their job and get out and they don't want any more to do with you which is fine but he's really only guy i fought that was really like disrespectful you know cocky in the ring showboating you know (laughs) trash talking before and it just to me and I, I know if, if fans I'm not like mistaken, he, he fought your brother too, didn't he? He did. Yeah. He, uh, he won a, uh, I, that was another fight that probably easily could have been a draw. Um, even though, uh, Jorge got the better of the fight, you know, undoubtedly Jorge got the better of that fight, but the first round, I think Justin may have edged him out and Jorge dominated the second round and it was a two round fight. So yeah, he's got he's got two wins over the Wisniewski brothers. Do you recall any of the things that he was saying to you pre-fight that they kind of turned you rubbed you wrong? You know, it wasn't just me. I've been around him, seen him fight other places. He just he trash talks a lot. You know, I was there with a, a girl came down there with me. He was blowing kisses to her. You know, before the fight <laughs> and stuff. Just, oh, no. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain for me. I like playing sports and MMA is a sport. You know, I, I'm going to be 40 here in a few months and I still like going out and playing basketball or football, but you know, you get those guys that make it personal. They're, you know, it's a little bit, it's fun to have a little friendly trash talk, you know, and, and you want to be competitive, but he was kind of like that, like a Tito Ortiz type played a character. You know what I mean? And he was, he made it, always trying to showboat and be center of attention. And I just don't care for that personality. And it's not as fun for me to compete. I like Steve Berger. I fought, you know, earlier in my career and I'd been around Steve a lot. We'd fought on a ton of cards together. We sat in the locker room and talked to each other for like two hours before we fought. I mean, we're wrapping our hands sitting next to each other at a table. Good. Good guy. Yeah. No, a real good guy. And then probably 15 minutes before the bell's going to ring, I'm like, hey, Steve, I'm going to go back to my locker room, but really nice talking to you. Good luck out there. You know, and most of my fights were like that, you know, and I, right. I'll go out there and fight as hard as I can till the bell rings. And then after the fight, we usually go have a beer. I wouldn't want to have a beer with Santiago or uh, Masvidal. Just, All right. Yeah. So if I could play like devil's advocate in regards to like, I, I've never met the guy. I, I don't know him. Um, but he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he publicly stated that he, if there was one fight that he believes he lost, that he got a decision on and it, he said it was yours. Yeah. Does that surprise you? A little bit. Cause it's, 
it kind of go, goes counter to my impression of him that, you know, even if he thought, cause he acted, you know, he celebrated like he just won the Super Bowl and we fought, you know, he, <laughs> he, could, barely, he could barely stand, but he acted like he knew he won the fight. Um, so it, it does surprise me. You know, I don't, I respect the guy quite a bit as a fighter. I mean, even oh, you have in, to. Yeah. Even in his early, you know, that was pretty early in our careers. You know, he was a real hard nosed guy at quick hands. I don't think he had a wrestling background, but he developed kind of like me. He learned to wrestle. He became a really good wrestler. Um, he's got an exciting style. He doesn't get tired. So uh, on a fighter level, I really respect the guy, but yeah, I'm just not into the, that pro wrestling personality for MMA. You know, I don't, I don't like people who are real braggadocious. I don't like, yeah, you know, I've seen him fight a few guys that he was a lot better than, and he really played it up. And I don't know. I mean, that's your thing. That's fine. But yeah, that's not- cool. Well, well, he, he did mention it. They mentioned about Bodog and the Joe Rogan experience, which I mean, there couldn't be a bigger platform uh, to talk big, about. Oh yeah. Oh, how could he not be? And he mentioned, he literally mentioned that he didn't think he won. So you know, to play that devil's advocate, like everything you said, I, I mean, it's, you're not going to disagree with it, but to his credit, he also believes you won that fight as well. So did you ever think that um, certain camps may target you? Like they may see your look, see the way you fight, and just like, nope, keep sending guys at him because your third Russian Red Devil was uh, <laughs> Eric Oganov. You know... I'm trying to think if there's ever been a situation where I think I was really targeted by a team and I, nothing's jumping out at me. That Oganov fight is just kind of a coincidence. So I think when Masvidal- How sure are you of that? I'm not positive, but I'm pretty, I would say 99%. So pretty positive. Yeah. (laughs) So Masvidal was supposed to do that fight. Uh, Well, the winner of me and Masvidal was supposed to represent like Team USA against Team Russia because that's how that show was set up. And for whatever reason, Masvidal couldn't do the Oganov fight. I don't know if he was injured or why he couldn't travel to Canada, but he couldn't take the fight. And because I think a lot of people thought I won anyways, I was kind of a natural pick to replace him. So I don't really think Red Devil's like, hey, we want this guy. It's just that Oganov was already in that slot. And I was chosen to fill it. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's going back to his camp going, man, okay, we got this guy again. Yeah, George, George we couldn't get George into, into Canada because of an outstanding arrest warrant or something, you know, in his criminal background or something like that. Now, everything could be overcome, but when it came as a surprise, we weren't going to take the risk. They were turning people back there, so. <laughs> that's why George did make a, make his leap to superstardom at that point. Yeah. I, I kind of knew that, but I figured that was his. I got to throw him under the bus like that. Yeah. So, so, so the, the best thing that could happen to us in this interview is for him to shit all over us for revealing that and tell people to come look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Keith, why do you fight Carlo Prater a third time? After being like hometown, like so bad in that second in that second fight, I wasn't hometown in the second fight. Well, oh, you were almost they attempted it. No, that was the first fight. Uh, the oh, second okay. fight, keep up. Second fight, second fight was in Las Vegas, and it was it was kind of a boring. You know, it was a one sided fight. I got the 
better of them. I won all three rounds, but okay. mostly kind of a slow grinding fight, you know. The third fight was pretty similar. It wasn't it wasn't really a barn burner, you know. So he, he finally uh, gets his win over you. Yeah. Split, split decision, but yeah, he, he got the nod. Did you, did you feel that he won that, that fight? You know, there's a fair amount of fights in my career that were really close that I think could have went either way. Um, I think that falls into that category where, you know, especially in a fight where you don't feel you fought very well. Like, I get the feeling he probably feels the same. Like, it just wasn't a great performance by either of us. We were pretty tight, you know, a lot of holding, you know, just just wasn't a great, great fight. It's kind of hard to look back on a fight that's slow, you know, not a ton of shots landed, and then complain about a close decision. I mean, if- okay. So, so why did why did you agree to fight him a third time? Out of curiosity. So I think I got like fifteen grand or something for that fight. You know, which you know at the time, Funny. pretty pretty substantial payday. I know that's not a huge payday nowadays, but. You know, at that time, it was pretty substantial to me. So more than the UFC good. was paying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a good card. I mean, Pedro Hizo fought Jeff Munson on the main event of that card. I mean, it was a really stacked card. You know, I, I'm trying to remember who else was on it, and it was on pay per view. I mean, it was, you know, to me, it was a good opportunity, even though it was a fight that, you know, it was a third time fighting him, and it was at uh, where did we fight? We fought at the. Uh, Dallas Mavericks Stadium. So it's kind of a yeah, cool thing. Nice. It was on pay-per-view. I bought that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, Keith, wow, you wow. talking about there, you know, these these close decisions, and I'm sure you've done judging sometimes now. Uh, it's just going there when you got two guys and it's a close fight, not a lot happens. Man, it's hard to pick, you know? You're like, yeah. but decisions are going to happen a lot. I get it. You know, it's happened to me. When, and you're pissed at the time. You go back and you watch it later on. Like, eh, what are you going to do, man? That's kind of how I feel. There's a fair amount of fights where I can kind of shrug and say, yeah, I wish that had gone my way. I sure would have liked to got the win money instead of the show money, but it's, it's really hard, especially in a couple of the fights where I'm almost embarrassed about how I fought. It's hard to feel that way. And then at the same time, throw a big stink about not getting the decision. (laughs) Okay. So you suffer your fourth loss in a row at this point. And you usually, you set up your fourth loss in a row when you make your IFL debut against Rory Markham in a fight that you were definitely winning. Yeah, I took, that, I took that on relatively short notice as well. Um, I wasn't a great experience for me. I mean, that was my only IFL fight, and I liked the concept of it. But I think it worked better for, like, say, the Bettendorf team, the Iowa team, because those guys were all actually teammates, and Militic was their coach. Most of the teams were just kind of you know, I, I guess the Team Quest team out in Portland was kind of like those guys were teammates and they had their cornermen cornering them. But most of the teams were just kind of put together, you know, guys that trained from all different camps, all different places, and they they fought for a team. I had Carlos Newton in my corner, and I met him. I think I met him the day of the weigh-ins or the day before <laughs> weigh-ins. They, they didn't fly a corner out there, so I took it on short notice. And I have to cut to 170. I don't have a corner with me. I didn't have anyone with me to cut the weight. So that was really hard. I mean, I would say hard to the point of being dangerous. You know, I was close to passing out in the sauna and I'm by myself. So <laughs> just an all around, not a great experience. It was a pretty, pretty good fight. You know, I got the better, pretty one-sided first two rounds. And then he clipped me pretty good in the third, maybe right at, 
actually think he clipped me really good at the end of the second. And then he really put it on me pretty good in the third. It was a really one-sided round. And they scored the third at 10-8, I guess. Ended up being a draw. And because it's a t- they're scoring it by team, the draws have to go like to an overtime round. And I just I couldn't come out for an overtime. I was done. Wow. wow. So, you know, Chris, when you get four losses in a row, it gets real high competition too. So it's not like, you know, he's punching down and losing fights. You know, he's yeah. some would argue he's punching up and losing fights at this point. Um, most, most pros would either start phoning it in and just collecting paydays and riding out or trips or vacations. But that's not what Keith Wisniewski is. He actually rattles off six wins in a row. Um, two people that were on the UFC, they were UFC veterans and another two that were on a UFC uh, short list. Um, it was pretty impressive, Keith. It was pretty impressive just how you just, you never stopped. Yeah, you know, I didn't really get discouraged with those losses. I, like I said, I, a few of those, I felt like, I mean, for sure, the Masvidal I felt like was a win, you know, so even though that's officially a loss on my record, you know, it's not like I felt like I lost four fights in a row. I felt like I won one, had a couple that were super close, could have went my way, went the other way, and then maybe lost one. So, but, you know, it was never a, I don't think I'm good enough. I can't compete at this. It's just make adjustments, get better and come back. And I enjoyed competing. So it wasn't, I really enjoyed training, like being part of a team. And I didn't really want to give that up. So if you're going to train as hard as I train, it's kind of hard not to have the payoff of fighting at that. Point. <laughs> you know, well, Keith, I, I think I wonder if you think kind of similar, it sounds like you do like me, like I've lost several split decisions and uh, you know, at some point I decided I don't really care what three individuals think about what I just did, you know, because especially most of the time, those three people never even fought. I don't care what three people who've never fought before and I gonna. I know if I won or lost, or I know how I feel about what I did. You never think you did nothing. I mean, you know how you did. I don't really care what they say because at the end of the day, that's not what's important. It sucks for the pay, but I, I try not. I try never to let that bother me one way or another. It sounds like what you're saying. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I I never got super discouraged about it. Yeah, it it sucked for the pay. It also sucked for like future opportunities. You know what I yeah. mean? It's oh yeah. You sort of got to walk that ladder up unless you're really connected and you know, those were major setbacks for my career and a couple of those go my way. It could have really affected the way my career went, I feel like, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't something I beat myself up about or, you know, dwelled on, you know, for me, I really enjoyed training. And if you're, if you're going to train that hard and you're going to stay in shape, you want to kind of have something to some target you're getting ready for. And that's just kind of how I lived my life for about 20 years, you know, 15, 20 years that next target, that next fight, you know? Yep. Well, Keith finished his career in the UFC. Uh, Josh Neer was one of my favorite fights, and I, I thought you he was starting to bend at the time that they had stopped the fight for a cut against you. I thought you were starting to kind of <laughs> turn the corner with that fight. I suspect I wouldn't have finished him. Um, I, I might have stolen the third round from him. I probably had a little bit of momentum. I, cl- I clipped him with a really nice elbow in the second that hurt him. But uh, it was kind of a, for people who watched the fight, his mouthpiece fell out and it fell in like a gap in the octagon. So we had like a minute and a half pause while they tried to find that. I think they actually made the two, the two mouthpiece rule after that. So if someone gets their mouthpiece knocked out, 
the corner can just give him the next one. But I was complaining a lot in that fight when they stopped it. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, it was a doctor stoppage. Um, I was yelling at the doctor and yelling at the ref. And uh, Justin was really aggressively yelling at the doctor. Um, she came in, or I think it was a female doctor. I can't remember for sure. But the referee called the doctor in, and they checked on me in the second round and let me continue. And then between the second and third round, they call the doctor in again. And the doctor gets like one step through the door and probably like 10, 12 foot away from me still and waves the fight off. And I'm like, what? I could, I could see I'm fine. Let me fight. And me and Justin are, I mean, we're screaming. I mean, I'm giving them the, giving her the stink eye pretty good. But in retrospect, I mean, I took, I don't know, 40 ish stitches that I'm, I took four staples. <laughs> They had to stitch the inside of my mouth. They had to stitch both eyes. They had to stitch under. I mean, I'm still pretty scarred up from that fight. So Jesus, I'm not sure eating any more of those elbows was really in my best interest. You know, so <laughs> sometimes fighters don't have their own best interest in mind. And I, I think that was one of those moments where in the moment I'm heated, I'm complaining. You know, you could see I'm mad when they stopped it. I mean, I was gracious. I, I really respect Josh and I thought he fought a great fight, but I wanted to continue but I think it was probably the right move to stop the fight. So, so Keith, the earlier you had talked about concussions, have those affected you? Like, do you, do you feel the effects of them or do you believe that uh, you've had some issues later on with those? Not, not really. You know, I, nothing noticeable <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I know that I've had a ton of concussions and I feel that as my fight career got, farther and farther along I was more concussion prone so it was harder to compete you know I I would there have been fights where I got concussions like in the first round and I fought through it but I didn't have the coordination you know my body just didn't do the things I wanted to do anymore so in that sense it affected me but like behaviorally or I don't I don't feel like I've experienced what other people have in that sense um but it's definitely from the time I first got in the sport, the knowledge on concussions has expanded a lot. I mean, there were definitely instances where I got two or three concussions, like in the same day. And you know, Jesus. people didn't really, I don't feel like people understood the idea of, you know, compounding concussions where you should take two weeks <laughs> off and not do contact. You know, it'd be one of those, you shake it off, you know, you get your bell run, <laughs> get back out there. And I think, I think expanding knowledge, like especially through football, expanding knowledge on the dangers of concussions are kind of, you know, as a coach, by the time I was coaching fighters to a large extent, <laughs> we took a lot better care of them than I took care of myself. Huh. Have you uh, seen anybody from the local region that uh, have talked to you about concussions? Because I have. Um, no, not, not really, to be honest. Yeah, I've talked to Brian Garrity about it. You know, he says that he's, he's struggling a little bit. Um, he was on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Ron Faircloth, obviously. I mean, he, he's no longer with us. Um, you know, he, he struggled quite a bit and was tortured, you know, with, with uh, you know, depression and memory issues. And, you know, he's no longer with us. But, you know, there's quite a few, man. There's quite a few. You know, my memory is weird. I, I have... Some things, I mean, I can remember a million different song lyrics, but 
I'll forget everyone's name that I ever meet. So, you know, do whether you that's or just my person, it's hard to say. Do you read a lot? Quite a bit, yes. See, I, I think you're, you're also performing those mental exercises because when Keith and I would be promoting shows together, and we did it, you know, maybe half, maybe a dozen at the most, he'd be sitting with a book in his hand. And, and Keith, I, I, I'm going to be real honest with you. That not only, like inspired me but even till today i still read like i've got books that i'm reading you know i don't read every single day but i definitely do and i exercise my mind and largely in part that's from you and i'm constantly like i always have a book with me whether it's in my bag or in my car i always have a book yeah Yeah, i like to read and i also games you know mental games chess cards you know i I, i'd say i keep my brain active i try to at least yeah yeah, so l- let's talk about like your brother. Your brother, uh, he uh, like hit on the pachinko machines in Japan, and if I remember correctly, he has like he's he's got that like math like genius kind of thing going. So you guys used to like like do challenge like sitting there like puzzle challenges. Like these guys are on a bus like sitting there like talking. You know, okay, multiply. I, I can't even remember exactly the detail, but it's definitely higher math. We were probably the only guys in the UFC locker room with a chessboard set up because it's a, <laughs> you got you got to kill a lot of time at those events, so you got to yeah. do something. Yeah. So you know, for those that don't know, um, Doolin Valley Tudo, which was Keith's gym, at one Justin, point, Justin's gym as much as mine. Well, here, okay, the Wisniewski brothers' gym. Okay. That, that's fair. I, I apologize. That's true. That's true. I know Justin did a lot of the uh, the work and training regimens, and really, he was the main, the head trainer. So I was, you know, I was the head manager. I managed the guys, and Justin was the main trainer. He was the head corner man. So it was our gym together. We owned it together. But if you had to say who was the head trainer, it was undoubtedly him. That's awesome. So I like to kind of just look at, and there's going to be some people that leave off of this list, but I'm just like looking at the people that received a UFC or strike force or Bellator contract from your gym. And it's pretty impressive. Like sometimes gyms, even in like big metropolitan areas, if they can get one guy to the UFC, it's like, it's the cornerstone of that coach of, of that coach's life. And when you look at what you've done from like a relatively rural area of Northwest Indiana, you got John Colossi, Darren Elkins, Eddie Wineland, Josh Shockley, and Mark Birch. I don't know if I'm leaving anybody out from there, but this is all homegrown talent that both, you know, that your brother and yourself both developed, you know, in a garage and made it to the big show. And two of which, I mean, look at Darren Elkins and and Eddie Wineland are still making a name for themselves. And it's very impressive. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of what we did as a gym. I'm biased, obviously, but I thought we were, one of the best or maybe the best gym in Chicago for a time. Um, I think Fair undoubtedly enough. best in Northwest Indiana at a time. Um, I think we did it mostly just through, I think our workouts are more intense than most other gyms. You know, I mean, they, by the end of our workout, hey, the, the room was like 90 degrees and there'd be like a quarter inch of water on the ground, you know, cause there was that much. It's <laughs> not water. <laughs> not water. But you know, I, we just, it was, we can't, we were in a wrestling town, Portage is a wrestling town. And, uh, we got a lot of really elite wrestlers to come in and 
we just kind of it was almost like a college wrestling rooms mindset where it's just a lot of really high level athletes competing against each other and it kind of fed and built and then fighters you know guys who were good athletes would see the success and then you know they wanted to be part of that so yeah for a while there i really think we were a pretty elite gym and it's nice to see a few of the guys still making like an actual living like they're going to probably retire as fighters yeah. you know maybe not have to do a j job afterwards yeah. and i was i was always real proud of you know the the you know you guys were from indiana and i know you guys and uh you know, just just not that you were just from here, but the way you guys fought, just a tough, gritty style, especially like a like a Darren Elkins. I remember watching him and, and telling people, "No, no, watch this guy. He's in, even if he's losing, he's gonna grind it out. He's gonna, he's done that so many times where he's losing the first round, the second round, just sticks to it. Just that tough, gritty, like blue collar worker, which was what you guys were. So uh, I kind of loved having that. You know, that, that's my favorite kind of style, and, and you guys are right there. It's, it's pretty awesome. We kind of felt the same about integrated. I mean, that was, that was <laughs> Thank you. So you guys definitely had the same reputation. Good. Yeah. yeah that's, what, that's my favorite reputation. That's the kind of gym we wanted to be. So you guys were that. And like, those are my Indiana guys, you know, killed. I love the, the Darren, Darren Elkins copied your head movement style like to a T. <laughs> yeah, we're not very graceful fighters. <laughs> no, but, but you got, I mean, the thing is, is that's what Chris is talking about. It's like, Put your put your head down and just move forward, I and mean, that's bite down you know, that, mouth makes, that makes for a lot of excitement and stuff like that. But yeah, you, you you're not uh, you're not you're not gonna be confused with Floyd Mayweather. No, no, I think that's <laughs> a fair statement. Fair statement. Well, Keith, man, thank you so much for joining us. And you know, I I also like to think that you never mind like all the accomplishments of yourselves and your teammates, I, I, I think your biggest accomplishment or your brother's, the gym, the gym's biggest accomplishment is taking people off of the streets. Like some of the guys from your gym, some of the guys that are from kind of adverse backgrounds, they go to a gym where they kind of, you know, let that person act out or act crazy, talk whichever way they want. And they go, hey, well, that's just him. When one of those people showed up over at Doolin, you guys had like a a tight leash around them. Like, no, you're going to handle yourself like us. Like, you're going to walk the walk and you're going to talk the talk. And, you know, one of those guys that stands out is Mark Birch. I mean, Mark Birch has done time in prison. And when you talk to Mark, it's like, well, you know, when I went to Europe this time, I, I really liked how socially speaking this took place and the government worked that way. And I have no doubt, and, and you know, I, I throw Mark's name out there without, you know, without real care because I, I know Mark doesn't mind, but I think you guys, in Mark's case, turned his entire life around. And that's just one of many, many examples of the people that walk through your gym. Like you, your biggest win, your, your, your gym's biggest win is, I think, the community, what you guys have done for it, at least on a local <laughs> level. We're definitely a tight knit group. You know, I mean, you, you cited a guy like Birch and I think we did a lot for Birch, but those are, you know, a guy like Birch or Darren or Josh. I mean, these guys were coaches at the gym. I mean, they were leaders and they did that for other people, you know, so it was it, all those people put in probably more than they took out from the gym. Um, but yeah, I think there's a fair amount of people and we weren't really open to everyone. We switched to a tryout system because we really didn't want people who weren't willing to work you didn't have to be a great athlete but you had to be willing to work as hard as we worked nice. but but 
as long as you had that effort, I mean, you were welcome at our gym and you were going to train right along with, you know, I mean, there were guys in the UFC, you can come in your first day and be thrown into that line. As long as you're willing to go as hard as you can, you know, and I think that sort of the type of person that can persevere through that is going to improve from that, you know, socially improve athletically. They're going to make tight bonds and friendships. And to this day, those are, you know, those are my best friends, some of my old teammates. Those are the guys I stay in touch with. Um, and I think with each other as well, you know, I mean, all those guys still have a pretty tight kinship. The UFC did Birch wrong, dude. You know, I wish UFC, uh, Mark had fought in the UFC. Um, well, look, explain the situation so people understand what took place with him. So I was managing Mark at the time, um, and he was signed to fight can't think of the guy's name but he's a really good like dutch kickboxer i think he's dutch um do you guys remember the name offhand he had a decent ufc career that's the struve no it was it was way before that oh so you're you're not talking uh what's his name come on the seven foot guy now no before him too Sammy schultz before no 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 it's not going to come to me but he was fighting a, a pretty decorated striker who was scheduled to fight and uh he was a little slow getting his medicals done for the fight and i was managing him and i had i mean i don't want to go into details but i had some personal stuff going on at that point and i wasn't really i didn't do the best job managing him and I think it's fair. I don't think he would criticize me for this. It was just a tough situation. Um, but we found out late that if you're over 40, you had to do all these extra medicals. Mm. So it was kind of like one of those. He got his done, but they got him done like the last minute. And then Joe Silva called and he's like, hey, he's over 40. He's got to do all this other stuff to fight Nevada. So Birch went out and did it all you know, like really fast at that point, he had been kind of dragging his feet, but he got him done in like a 48 hour period. But Joe would, you know, by the time I sent him in to Joe, he said, Hey, I've already replaced him. We're going to cancel his crack. So, I mean, it's a shame guy that fought his way up and earned that chance, never got to compete at that level. But some of, some of it was his fault for dragging his feet. Some of it was my fault for not being more on top of it. Some of it was the UFC's fault for not, Hey, we'll give you even if we can't do this one, let's do it the next one. You know, I, yeah, but you can't really, you can't fault them. You know I mean? Everyone and their brother wants to fight on that show. They don't want to fight getting canceled last minute. So I, it's a shame that he didn't get that fight. I mean, that's a huge regret for me personally. I'm sure it's a huge regret for him, but to, to say the UFC did him dirty or did something wrong. I think that's a little unfair, you know, to criticize them for that too. It's Fair just enough. the way things worked out. Well, I think, was, I think under those circumstances, I think you hit it right in the head. I mean, they, they're going to do what they have to do, and business-wise, you can see their point. But there is an aspect of, yeah, put them on the next show. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, <laughs> what, 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 what's the problem? You know, it, but he has it, medicals. You know? Yeah, yeah everything's set now. now. It's like, so, so you put them on the next show. There was no reason to really cancel it, except for, I guess, when you're heading towards a 600-man roster, you got to send messages at certain points, right? So yeah. it's unfortunate to be caught up in that. Yeah, I for people who haven't got a chance to see him fight, you know, and most people probably haven't. He was a 
incredibly exciting fighter. I mean, he just was a hard so nose. Fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you you couldn't really like as a because I I had him as a promoter on a few of my cards that I promoted. You couldn't book a better guy. You know, his fights were all barn burners. I mean, he he was good at everything. He was athletic for a big guy. He had a big personality. So yeah, I mean, he was a fantastic fighter. I wish he had gotten a chance to showcase himself on a bigger level. Yeah, him and that Adam Majewski was one of the best live fights I've ever seen. That was on my card. That was a <laughs> I think that was actually a believe it or not, the co main event that night. But man, that was a good fight. Are you sure that was a Doodlin Classic One, baby? I remember that. I yeah, think I still got the was, ticket for it. It was <laughs> Doodlin Classic Two. So was it two? Okay. Birch was the main event of the first show I ever promoted was doing was outside and it was an all amateur show. And he fought Warren Kikapa, one of Strasser's guys mm-hmm. as our main amateur main event. But I feel like maybe that Majewski fight was the main event. I can't remember, but it was definitely, a, it was an amazing fight. Those two went to war. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Cool. So, that's the story with Birch, huh? I, I, I remember Birch in Bodog, and he fought Rinaldi, uh, one of the top teams guys. And this is funny because they, they, they were in Costa Rica. I think, Keith, you weren't at were – you, were, you were with him, right? You, yeah, I fought uh, Masvidal. Oh, so this – okay, all right, good. So that was that card. I, I do remember you there. Now. I, I'm, I'm sorry. but So Birch is huge, right? He's got a cut to make 265, right? Yeah. <laughs> And you know he's a pocket fighter, though. Like he he stays in the pocket and throws, man. But guys like Wisniewski and you know a lot of the Americans weight cutting, they're already at a pro level of weight cutting, so they got their plan and they they got everything set. But in the United States, that generally means a sauna. Now in Costa Rica, they don't have sauna in this hotel. It's a very nice hotel, but. No sauna because the whole country is a sauna, right? You don't really go outside. No one's gonna go see the hot room in this country, right? So, uh, Birch Birch took a porta potty and let it bake in the hot sun on a clay tennis court, and he would sit in that porta potty to cut weight. Oh, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna have to ask him about that. Yeah, ask him about that, man. Birch is one of those guys that you know he said big personality and stuff like that. Nicest guy you ever meet, except for on weigh-in day. Not a nice guy at all. <laughs> on day, you know, not you know, not cool. <laughs> he's pretty grumpy on weigh-in days, and he yeah, had I a would really- say he's somebody you ought to be careful of. You know, yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. you definitely want to be nice to him. That's all I would yes. say. At times, he really struggled to make 65, and I think that was to his detriment. I would think if when he was at like 160 or 260, he was like a perfect athlete, but when he got up to like 290 and had to cut to make 265, he was a little more sluggish and, as as uh, Miguel said, kind of moody at the weigh-ins. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, definitely fun stuff. So uh, I remember, too, you, you, that, that post-fight party at Bodoy was fun. Because I remember you sitting there because you, you, you'll have a beer or two, but we were watching like Dave Strasser dance off with the Japanese uh, judge guy that was there. And it was really funny because the production crew was like, oh, they're so drunk. They're so drunk. And it's like, Dave had- <laughs> the, guy, the, the, the Japanese guy is drunk as shit. 
Dave hasn't had an alcohol in like 20 years. You know, he never. <laughs> so, That's like, just him. Just my, favorite, <laughs> my favorite fight uh, post-fight memories was at the Trump Taj Mahal shows. I felt those were an awesome time. We'd all set up in that main lobby bar and it was kind of that same crew of guys, you know, without <laughs> the without the Bodog pomp, you know, because then you had kind of the production Bodog people, but they weren't there at that time. So it's just all the people I really liked, and it was just the perfect bar, perfect atmosphere. I miss those shows. Yeah, that, that, that Bodog, that was Trump Taj Mahal, right? And now, now the guy yeah. is uh, a former president. So it's been a long time, Keith. Definitely been a long time. Thank you for catching up. I know we're trying to wrap up here, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think we're like an hour, over an hour and a half in. So. I think we're like two hours, aren't we? Are we two hours? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, those 55 club members, we gotta go. 55, gotta go over them all. <laughs> I don't get to see you guys too often, so I'm kind of enjoying it. I gotta be honest. No, yeah, Keith, man, man I, 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 I got a world of respect for you, man. Like, not, forget the fight game, just as a person. You and I work together. Everything you ever said you would do, you did. Uh, any expectation I had for you to complete, you never let me down. And like, I, I always felt like, damn, man, it was, it was truly an honor, like to, to work with somebody such as yourself and. You know, like I, I was kind of, I'm a little older than the guy, yet the responsibility that Keith has taken on is, uh, you know, not just with us as a promotion, but, you, you know, with your gym and your brother and managing guys. It was, it was, it was very, very impressive, man. And, and, and I'd say thank you for allowing me to have those experiences with you. That was a pleasure, brother. It really was. Yeah, it's been about a decade, man. It's been about 10 years. Yeah. We, you got to, when we do this next time, you got to bust Justin out because, yeah, come on, bro. I, I think it's been a long time, right? And Justin didn't have the UFC, you know, at the end of his career kind of thing. But I think you're right. And you were very uh, obviously uh, honorable in, 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 you know, giving Justin his right. But back in the early days, the Wisniewski's were a one-two punch, bro. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah, what most, how many fights does Justin have? He's got to have about 40 fights, right? Yeah, I would say in that ballpark, maybe – Mid thirties. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's fifty fight club because he stopped and he concentrated well, on the gym. A lot, a lot of those fights, like those early fights where I'm fighting every month. I mean, we don't, we're not talking about, but almost every one of those fights, Justin would corner me, and I would whoever cornered whoever had to fight first, the guy who had to fight after, kind of disadvantage because he'd be cornered, <laughs> running back to try to warm up for his fight. But yeah, we yeah. cornered each other for really Justin. Would, the fights where Justin wasn't in my corner is probably like maybe 10 fights. I mean, they're real distinctive because he's not in my corner. And I remember him in my corner for pretty much all my fights. And he was about as good as you could get. You know, he was a guy that coached the ref really well. I don't, I don't know if you're kind of familiar with that, but like he would give you advice, but it would be meant for the ref. Like if a sure. ref was getting agitated for a standup or something, like he'd really exaggerate like big shots. You're doing great work in there. You know, the ref would kind of do a second take and then kind of back off a little <laughs> bit. And he just knew how to work the judges as a corner man. I mean, he just – a lot of subtle things that you don't really think about. I, he was a special corner man. I think he was as good as anyone I've been around. That's awesome. Nice. nice. That's cool. Yeah, that's, uh, definitely that bond. It's like you don't meet guys with a bond like that. The brothers, they actually shared the same nickname. <laughs> And, and you haven't talked about when you came out to do you really want to hurt me either. Come on, man. I don't think I ever came out to that one. Who was mm. it? Was that your brother then? I mean, Nick Thompson, probably. It was. I think it might have been Nick Thompson. Okay. Yeah. 
Did, I think it's funny came that out my, to that? It's pretty funny. I thought you came out to that. No? Never me. No. You know, me been Noble, too. Who, who me? <laughs> Noble came out when I fought Noble. I came out, too, and I thought it was pretty cool. I came out to... Uh, Oh, God, I can't think of his name. The guy that sings Brown Eyed Girl, uh, Van Morrison. I came, Van out Morrison. To, I came out to Into the Mystic, which I think was a, you know, a good entrance song. <laughs> he, came out, he came out to Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Relax, and he just totally <laughs> went up me, you know. Yeah, it was well. It was well played on his part. He took an L. He took an L on the entrance music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won the fight, but I think he won the real battle. I did, starting off all one, you know. Yeah, I think Justin... Uh, Used Uncle John's band one time. Yeah, that was uh, down in Evansville. I stole it off. I, I used it later, but yeah, that was a really good entrance. Dude, I, I love the Grateful Dead, man. I've probably seen them live at least 40 times. I just I was at Bob Weir's show when it got canceled for COVID. It was like I was supposed to go both nights. I, I'm a huge deadhead, man. I love the Grateful Dead. Me as well. Me as well. And I, I really came out to if I ever came out of retirement, it's because I got like 30 more songs I want to come out to. Because that was a that was a big thing for me and Justin. We'd take a lot of them, but what mood we were in song-wise. And it, a little bit of classic rock and quite a bit of country. A little, you know, kind of mixed it up. Yeah, but but it's not like your, your radio country. It's the old school traditional country like George Jones, which I also am a fan of that, that style of music. I, I had Chris trapped in a car with me. Uh, all the way down to <laughs> Birmingham, and I'm like, Dude, I'm sorry, brother, we're doing outlaw country the whole way. <laughs> yeah, but we were doing 110, so it went pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Keith, Chris, Chris, you want to lead us out of here? We, we hey, yeah, once again, man, 50 Fight Club member Keith Wisniewski, just uh, one of the old school guys. I love his career, and that's what real fighting is. People don't understand that nowadays. It's a different breed, but um, the the thing that made me fall in love with the sport was people like this and this type of career so just can't thank you enough for sharing that with people glad everybody got to hear it and uh hey man thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit it was a pleasure man really good to talk to all three of you cool have fun keith thank you very much dude take care brother